0: The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports
1: They're incredible I mean, just, it's not usually in awe of teams that much But I just can't help being oh, in awe of Barstow Femini Like, they're just incredible
2: Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now OTB AM With Gillette Get into
0: your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Oh yeah, we're dancing into Tuesday like we're a troop of Brazilians celebrating the fourth goal. Is it controversial? I don't. I don't know. Apparently it is. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we're here to police the tone of everybody, just like Keys and Gray. Mostly Keys, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. What policing tone? Yeah, Richard Keys can't be celebrating that. Policing fun. Can't be celebrating the first round win in the FA
3: Cup when you're like non-league. Can't be doing that. You're just try to win the thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah imagine Saudi Arabia never celebrated the win against Argentina they would have regretted yeah. that it's true you know they got a public holiday that yeah. was nice they had their moment but then at half time you know last night I was watching ITV and Brazil have absolutely annihilated South Korea it's an absolutely incredible especially 40 minutes of football uh, after good. the first goal and then you know Roy's problem is uh, the celebrations yeah the I mean I, I think what the are whole, you I think the whole point was that he was I thought he was being funny like he was very funny well, well that's the his thing his comedy line the strictly line was great so, but his overall point,
0: his overall point doesn't make any sense. That like they were celebrating the happier they got, they were still celebrating with Ford. I was like, hey, well, now they're like mm-hmm. now they can, rest, yeah. rest everybody. I thought that was that didn't make any sense. Uh, Didi Howan has had no humor about it. Ah, he, it. he was like, no, there's an unwritten rule. You never take a goalkeeper off. Okay, like, you know.
1: just they're, giving every member. They're of not going to be dancing
0: time. in two weeks. No, I mean that. Sorry, that was a good line, but he didn't actually deliver it. <laughs> Peter Collins reminded I think I, I, if I'm, maybe Peter Collins said it you know, Peter Collins you said they weren't oh. going to be because Didi obviously was like he said this good line get inside the line again I was like, ok you're not going to do it not right. to do
4: it for you <laughs> I, I think the Brazilians are outrageous how dare they have fun I mean why would they have fun at the World Cup it happens every four years like celebrating a goal are you serious celebrating qualifying for the next round of the
3: World Cup I mean get a grip grow up Brazil What's happening right now in the production box is Emma Carroll has come in to Jojo, who was from Brazil, and be like, get in there and defend Brazil because he was very happy to see that celebration. And Jojo's right. Jojo comes in as a ray of sunshine every morning and he's like, you should celebrate life. And that's exactly what they did four times last yeah. night. And the, one of the best moments of the World Cup was the manager getting involved in the celebrations. Yeah, TG And was then doing it. comes out after and says, look, by the way, we weren't disrespecting anyone. We were just really, really happy to score those goals because... Those goals were unbelievable. Mm. They
0: were each of their own contenders. There's all a, it's all a little weird, isn't it? It's it's all like, it's kind of a weird sports culture. Um, uh, Colin Fedley's in the papers today talking about the speech that the that the that was made when the cup was being collected last year by the Bally Gunner captain who said, oh, we robbed it from you today, lads. And Bally Hale are like, yeah, you did rob it from us. But like, how does the speech have any impact on... Literally one of the greatest ends to a hurling match that we've ever seen. Yeah. Where an underdog beats the greatest. The line before it was, by the way, you'll always go down as the greatest team of all time, but we robbed it for you today. And apparently that's the same level of disrespect. I'm like, that's the opposite disrespect. That's like, we did everything we could and we still
4: got away with larceny. I think the the point is a lot of these Brazilian players grew up in favelas and dancing and samba culture is literally their culture. Dancing is part of their, their like, It's not like us Irish where like I'm sitting here, like, this, here this morning. We and, do have
0: to be careful of no the stereotype here though, you know? No, of course but
4: I've, I've got, we've got the Catholic guilt <laughs> repressed repressed energy that right, we can't yeah. dance over. That's okay. generational trauma You want me back there Shane? Go on, keep going We've got generational trauma that means we can't express ourselves like Brazilian people
0: And yet, you know, Riverdance came along and sexified the whole thing course yeah freed us from the strictures of keeping our arms down by our sides and then also gave birth to that Clare
3: sure what can you do yeah, But Riverdance was a break in proceedings from the actual event which sums it all up it was accidental joy I'd love well, to well, see that it that was great now back to the thing yeah well, I'd love to see incorporated as a part of their actually you know, that's the show but yeah, yeah it, you do make a good point because what I want to know was Roy Keane was saying uh, after the first goal which is true right if you're doing that after the first goal that, that could be construed as disrespectful in his mind mm. and the fourth goal would be fine but also like, what does he want them to do is it the old school shaking hands let's go back to the centre circle games on over it's nil all lads it's nil all which is Repeatedly. not, what, which is not what his man United did no. it's, not, it's not what they did they celebrated wildly after every and goal he, they ran the leg of the pitch he's been on camera saying you should celebrate goals you should do it in yeah. his mind it was too much Anyway, I, I thought it was very joyous um, but the goals themselves brilliant that Thiago Silva reverse pass um, and it took, uh, it took commentary a while to actually identify who the assist was from. Mm. 38-year-old centre-half Silva. I mean, that's how joyous this Brazilian team is when no. their oldest defensive player is that good on the ball. And uh, also Richarlison, it was like an astro goal where he took a touch and could have literally done anything with it. And the South yeah. Korea goalkeeper was like, this is going to go in no matter what I do. Oh, the and they just had that brilliant. momentum. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of momentum. They just had that momentum on their side that like, no matter what they did... This is going in. And Piqueta, too who had seen a bit of West Ham I'm not overly impressed with him. Think he's a oh, decent but like that finish with the caressed volley. Ah. It's just beautiful. The one thing is the one thing I would say about Brazil they haven't really faced anybody yet and against Croatia I think they'll beat them fairly comfortably it's not a great Croatian side or certainly not as good as they were four years ago when they mm. reached the World Cup final. So Brazil's first real test could come as late as the semi-final. It will, yeah. And they don't want to repeat of what happened in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're definitely not going to lose. Seven? No. No, no against, but, against Argentina Or Holland or No that's the But I mean they could Have they had any sort of adversity so far Not really Other than Neymar's injury uh, But they, their strength of death is phenomenal Like It is like it's such a good squad And beforehand you know John Duggan was big on saying Brazil he thinks they're going to win And I was like I'm not really sure about Brazil I'm not sure But geez, on paper they're, they're frightening Brazil
4: England final now John is saying Which is a scary prospect no, It's also that. very That's an exciting prospect
3: that, there is like no chance England are getting to the final. No? No, not no chance. Really? Uh, no chance. If they win, if there's they no win way. if they win on at the weekend. They are going to win at the weekend. But that, oh. so, Okay, so fair enough. But
0: all they got to do is beat France, and it's going to be fairly straightforward, I think, after that.
3: That's it's not... <sighs> no, they have two more matches. Uh, but no one as good as France. Chill it doesn't the matter. Spin, they're still going to be good. Like, at this point, what's happening is, you were saying yesterday these last 16 are actually quite good because everyone that we want to win is winning meaning the quarter final, it's going to be unbelievable 8 really good sides France are great if they beat France they're still going to have to play a good team I I really don't think it could be Morocco
4: it could be Portugal yeah Morocco are good
0: yeah but not not, you would say no chance of
3: of England beating them you'd say every chance of England beating Portugal I said no chance of England winning the whole thing and I think they'll stop against France I think they'll stop against France you have Kenny Mbappe against uh, not quite match fit Kyle Walker it's going to be carnage Ah oh, madness that, that's, that's the battle We all want to see Did you hear the quotes From Matty Cash Poland right back Aston Villa's own yeah. About Yeah
0: go on, That was absolutely go on.
3: terrifying So Matty Cash said He studied him in bed That day Before the match He was looking at Loads of Mbappé videos This is how I'm going to Combat the greatness Of Mbappé Had it all set up Then the match started And he was like Oh my god I'm immediately in the conundrum Do I go tight Or do I let him have space problem with tight he spins you immediately the problem with space is he has this amazing ability in Mbappe where he'll get the ball he'll run with it then he'll stop dead so then you have to stop dead and then he accelerates he goes from 0 to 60 in 0.5 seconds yeah. which means that there's absolutely no catching like Cash that his legs were burning afterwards now you take that like a match fit Matty Cash very good player not as good as Kai Walker mm. but Kai Walker is a match fit so they're at about the same level mm. if Mbappe wants to and he will want to if he's on form if he's 100% fit, surely. There's only one result It's going to happen on Saturday. Yeah. No. Seven, Am I
4: wrong? 7 p.m. kickoff as well. This is going to be juicy. Uh, a lot of left people, left.
3: a lot of people think he's
0: not going to pick the same team that he's going to go to three at the back and have Kyle Walker as a centre back and have Tribuet mark him. So you've actually got a double marking happening on Mbappe. Mm. If that happens, I can see it being nil all.
4: um there, maybe they take that. I don't know. Well, we need a. There has to be an England penalty shootout or else it's not a major tournament. Yeah. I mean, it, it either happens. Saturday or it happens in the quarter fi- in the uh, quarterfinals
3: there won't be there will a penalty shootout in this tournament for England no? because they'll be out
4: right
0: very quickly here's what's coming up between now and uh, 10 o'clock for you this morning uh, Keen Tracy is going to join us in the studio because big bombshells from Wales and England both pulling the trigger on their respective head coaches uh, England not fully confirmed but all the papers have it that Borthwick is in Kevin Coban's going to join us in Qatar uh, we've got sports pages uh, we've got Paul Bellew the Galway chairman Maeve de Burka, who played football for the Republic of Ireland, is going to talk to us about that thing that we were talking about yesterday, about uh, PE and school uniforms and just keeping people participating in sport for longer. And then some Filippo Clare demolishing the character of uh, Arsene Wenger uh, around
3: about half past nine for you this morning. Uh, other big news overnight. The big news overnight, the Wayne Rooney news? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was wondering where you are going with that. Yeah, it's very, very entertaining. Wayne Rooney gave an interview to uh, Everton Fan TV. It was a really, really good interview, but it's absolutely unbelievable how insanely honest Wayne Rooney is about everything to do with football, where he just finished up a matter of years ago. And he cuts this kind of intimidating looking figure now with the cap as always on. There he is on the screen for people who can see, he has the cap on, the full beard, he's built out a bit now since he's stopped playing but you know it still looks kind of fit in his own right like but you wouldn't mess with him there's kind of a real kind of uh, intimidatory factor looking at Rooney now and uh, the words match the look because he was putting no punches and there's a great clip doing the rounds which uh, I think we have now to play it's about 30 seconds of They're Rooney talking to play about me. playing whatever I want to be there the yeah. next it, minute you're the best
5: it, it, <laughs> it's mad how quick it changed did it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: so like for me to go in with 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 Duncan, obviously Stubzy, um obviously every, all of them who I've, I've grew up watching him. Yeah. Mark Pembroke, um, sometimes yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> but to go to to then go and play with them, um, train with them every day and mm. and play with them, and then so quickly, I remember thinking these are crap.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that? So what what happens next after that? Yeah, <laughs> he's just like. Um, so Rooney is definitely on the verge of naming those players but the interview decides to go another way but he's like, no, like really I couldn't believe the standard of some of them. He was like, there were certain players there who should not have been at that club. He wasn't referring to Ferguson
4: and Stubbsy, the fella. He's, he
3: no, I Star. don't think he was there. Well, they're his best buddies but Duncan Ferguson was a great centre forward and yeah, Stubbs is yeah. a very good centre half who played with Celtic as well and <laughs> did very well for himself. I don't think he was talking about those two but then I was thinking of players in my head who played at that time like um, Scott Gemmel, Archie's son was like a grafter, but it like, I wonder was it him, probably not. He was a good player, but it was like, geez, they weren't like there wasn't a bad, outright, terrible squad. But Rooney had, like he had names on the tip of his tongue. All he wanted was an invitation to start naming names and the interviewer to his credit, because obviously he wants to maintain relations and he just doesn't want to go that way anyway. That wasn't his style. This interview it was kind of it, it was a very kind of a positive overall interview. He went a different avenue, so Rooney moved on with the conversation alongside him but he was ready to name names like. but it was oh, that clip itself was remarkable because for 29 of the 31 seconds you're thinking oh yeah this is very nice to tribute to when he started off because Rooney there is talking about when he was 17 years old 16 well I know at the point when he became 17 when he spent a few months into in the squad so what he said happened was he broke into the team Everton fan this is a dream come true scored that famous goal against Arsenal had scored against Wrexham in the cup before that they were actually his first two goals for the yeah. club which he's at in the, the state in the interview and then he said very very quickly I established myself as the best player in the team and people in the team around the club became intimidated by me because I was very outspoken uh, and I was clearly the most technically gifted in the side and he's only 17 years old that's him at 17 years old <laughs> talking it's like jeez look these players are no good so he went from hoping that he would get on the bench to playing a minute for Everton to basically knocking David Moyes door saying why aren't we signing better players we need to sign better players we need to improve and he also references um, Franny Jeffers controversy he moved to Arsenal from Everton yeah. when he had his glory spell and one of uh, Rooney's very early goals lifted up his jersey to reveal once a blue always a blue which he says in the interview was a criticism of Jeffers for leaving and then the interviewer said but then a few years you did the same thing and he was like yeah I know so I totally understood why Jeffers did that yeah fair oh it's amazing yeah, like he talks I suppose the best way to summarise are people who haven't seen it and it's available on YouTube Um, to see on the Everton fan channel is like he's talking as if he finished playing 20 years ago Mm. not just you know the other day essentially where he would very much know all of these players still and he has an air of um, I have an air of guy who's so comfortable with himself and where he is in life that I'm just going to be as honest as possible he wasn't nasty in any way but he was just like this is actually what happened
4: Imagine that confident 17 walking into a squad, first team Premier League squad and going, I'm actually better than... It was the fairly team. obvious though, right? Yeah, of course. Like, it was
0: obvious that he was physically as strong as any of them and he was also better than,
3: clearly better than them. Like, So can you imagine what he was doing to them in training? Yeah, and but it wasn't just the everything. I mean, he was clearly better than most players in the league. He like It he, he was a freak of nature, really. And they referenced there's a, an amazing goal he scored against Spurs in the FA Youth Cup at White Hart Lane where he hits free kick, hits the wall and comes back test volley and puts it into the top corner yeah, 35 yeah. yards out and he was only he was, he was, like, he's a teenager like and it was unbelievable what he was doing but like um, you know he was saying like look it uh, it was great to play but we needed to be so much better so much quicker than we actually were and that's when he moved on like um, and he just talks he's such a normal guy and he's he basically still the fan within him and he became a world-class player so quickly he knows a tr- I suppose when he goes into first-team training he knows he's going to be
4: pretty good because I think I remember reading one of his books he was Playing under 16s at the age of eight, and if you're playing under 16s when you're eight, you're like, well, I'm. Um, and he's scoring goals, by the way, at eight years old in under 16 matches. so that's, yeah. That kind of highlights the, the level at which he was at, and I mean, he is, not he was intimidating. Like he looks, he now looks like a bouncer on Camden Street. He's got that look where you're like, this is pretty intimidating. He's got the hat, and he's got the he's wide. I would say small town uh, provincial disco, not even Camden Street. Yeah, it looks like a barman
3: or no, a doorman in Mullingar. Just like the uncle of a great footballer, yeah, he's, he does, and and he's, he's still a young man. Like, but you know, he was talking when he only realized he was very good at fourteen. He just thought he was a handy player. Then realized, geez, I could actually make it professionally here. Mm. Um, and then you know, very quickly it you know emerged like I'm. He's just gonna he's just gonna go so far. But he talks about that Arsenal game, the goal as well. After that, he just went home and continued to play football with his buddies and just hung around the park. And he said like it was just so normal to me. And then like in his England debut. They lost, I think they lost to Australia 3 mm. uh, 1 at Upton Park and after that he went home and played football with his buddies and he was wearing an all France Adidas tracksuit and he was just like, This is the clothes I had at the time and he said like very quickly all those things started changing. Do you remember he got BBC Sports Personality of the Year when he was sixteen? And he was like he was saying an in interview he was like, That was so weird, like why did they give that to me? <laughs> and he said he never he didn't own a suit at the time, so he had to buy a suit and Colleen had to buy a dress, and he said they had absolutely no money, like he wasn't getting paid, mm. so they had to borrow money to buy the suit and dress and then David Moyes wouldn't allow Colleen to stay over in the hotel because she was underage that's how young he was yeah, so yeah. at the time there was controversy the next day that he was disrespectful because the shirt was so tight around his neck that he unbuttoned it and he just went up and said thanks very much and the tie was down he walked away and he was chewing gum and he was like I wasn't being disrespectful that's, <laughs> just what, I, I was just, that's what I did and I thought it was mad the outrage of it and he said he was never comfortable with any of that commercial stuff anything at all public-facing he just didn't want to do. And I think in, with increasing time, like as it passes and you read his articles in the Sunday Times, he's so tactically nuanced and he's a fascinating insight into the game. And he, i become more and more intrigued by Rooney, the person. Yeah, he's a very interesting character. I think he's going to be a really good TV pundit.
0: I think he yeah. might end up being one of those, <clears throat> not a brilliant manager, but um, certainly so far he's been okay. Nearly pulled off an, an incredible feat with Derby. He's very good well at Derby, yeah. Um, I think it'd be great to see him on TV every week, though. A point in viewing.
4: He's like Roy Keane. You'll tune in when... There's
0: definitely an element of that, you know? There is, yeah. A career in media would be better for him as well with less pressure and,
3: you know... I think that's a good point because I think if you were to say that to to Rooney, like, you know, there's less pressure here and you can do this and you can enjoy it and you're really good at media, I don't think that would motivate him. I think he wants to prove a point that he can actually be a really good manager. And the fact he's gone out there and tried, you know... I, I, I have a lot of time for him and when... You know, I don't know about you saying about like when he was at Manchester United, I'd often get frustrated with him because he could be his performances could be so extreme. Like when he had a bad game, he had an awful lack of his first touch to go out the window, and he'd just mm. be almost the worst player on the pitch. And then you remember when he, he tried to leave and all that in 2010, and he was like, I wasn't happy with where yeah. the team was going. And you, there were times you're like I'm not so sure about Rooney, but. You only read it as in hindsight How brilliant he was In and hindsight and You all prefer Rooney to Ronaldo
4: Hindsight yeah No Absolutely. I never said that
3: But I, you be a man now you're, I don't know oh, um, you're Where about. you're going Ronaldo After the latest outburst From I Fernando Santos I
4: actually can't talk about him Like R- R- Fernando Santos it, it, The common denominator now We're, we're understanding and realising Is Cristiano Ronaldo
0: I mean welcome to our lives From 15 years ago lads Yeah Like welcome What's Welcome you welcome welcome What's it mean? Now you've all
4: The scales have fallen from your eyes About Cristiano I think there's two versions of Ronaldo that, like the 03-09 the Cristiano Ronaldo yep. was a very different type of he was a bit more humble cocky still but a bit more humble in his he uh, just
3: wasn't as exposed to uh, public facing social media platforms it. and uh, Piers Morgan at that time he yep. just mostly played football but I would love to go back to the annals of the news talks um, audio and listen to you talking about Cristiano Ronaldo from 03-09 because I would imagine he would be appreciative of the guy's genius
4: uh. roll the clip
3: (laughs) (laughs) I know I I mean look obviously he's a very good player but like his
0: character never seemed anything other than like so uh, the incredible work ethic which separated him from Wayne Rooney say is something that should always be remembered right they're the same age right Mm. so like if Rooney had looked after himself the same way he could still be doing something at some level in the game on the field and have this amazing managerial career still to come with like multiple more medals and way more records and maybe a major tournament with England I don't know
3: like they always get compared those two for obvious reasons same age side by side in the same pitch but it's unfair to compare anyone mm. to Ronaldo in terms, of de- in terms of dedication to the game there is but no, there's nobody we like not Ronaldo that like you choose to be dedicated you choose to work you ch- hard you choose, you choose, to, be choose dedicated. To, uh, to you
0: choose your diet you choose the, the okay. level of activity and commitment you have that's not that's not something that is in him like with with no work he worked at that that's, that's
3: Paul O'Connell's. let's be world class at the stuff that doesn't take talent yep. Paul O'Connell and you choose to be dedicated like Roy Keane chose to be dedicated because his fear was I don't want to go back to Ireland there's a failure but Roy Keane was still able to enjoy himself off the pitch Ronaldo is like nothing like he is so incredibly dedicated to the brand of Cristiano Ronaldo that separates him from everybody else Patrice ever talks about going over to Ronaldo's house back in the day when they were united teammates and he said, I'm never going back there, it's so boring, even though I love Ronaldo himself. We went to his house and we sat down and we ate skinless chicken and unflavoured broccoli and then we just sat down and talked about football and was like, oh, I need an escape from this guy because he's so intense in his preparation. Whereas the vast majority of other footballers are incredibly dedicated to the craft, train very hard, have very few vices, but they never never have the extremes. Ronaldo was on his own planet. That's why I always think it's unfair to compare Rooney and Ronaldo. Having said that, Rooney could definitely have helped himself more. Like he even talks about, on, on his Everton full debut, the morning of, he went to McDonald's for breakfast. And then later, on, he had beans on toast and he was like, look, that's just what I did. You know, that was my background. So Rooney was the street footballer come good. And probably, and he would say himself, wasn't an example to follow. And he peaked ridiculously soon in his career. By the time in his late 20s, he massively slowed down. He would say that himself. But he was still dedicated enough to actually do something with his career. Think I, of the amount of players who didn't. Yeah, but like
0: you would say that they were at least similarly talented. And so one has had this incredible outcome and one has had
3: the outcome
4: that that happens when you... Just different bodies. I
3: I would uh, go as far as saying uh, Rooney was more naturally gifted than Ronaldo and Ronaldo actually really, really worked on improving himself. uh,
4: Really annoying me this morning, talking about him even. Um, Go there's other stuff annoying you, Shane. Yeah, a lot of things are annoying me, Gerard. Uh, So uh, there were three things in particular that were annoying me with the World Cup that I was sitting there last night just... I can see them. Stuttering penalty run-ups. Stop it. I know it worked for Lewandowski eventually the other night, but, I mean, take your penalty, run up and hit it. I mean, you're, you're putting yourself off by all by doing all this stuttering and messing around. Um, Neymar's worked as well, didn't it? It can work. There's there's no doubt it can work, but I'd love to see the percentages as to how often it works compared to someone just running up properly and smacking the ball into a corner, as the lads were saying last night in the show. Hit the penalty. Practice it. Don't practice a stutter, because then you become known as the player who stutters and like Jorginho does it and every so often he doesn't do it which throws a little curveball in but goalkeepers keepers can prepare for that one of the other things that was annoying me was the yellow card for, for taking your jersey off I feel like that's a long rule though that's been there for a long uh, time yeah but <sighs> get over yourself like a Bakar's of yellow I, obviously you had to get the yellow card from the referee the referee was very apologetic tapped yeah. in the back and stuff um, but I was reading the, the FIFA laws this is how uh, bored I was last night FIFA law 12 that's says it's permissible to demonstrate joy but that joy must not be excessive. So this is why, why the jersey rule is there. Now, it kind of comes into the Brazil stuff as well, and we're saying the Brazilian players should be allowed to celebrate. They should be allowed to take your jersey... Like, wh- wh- who are you harming by taking your jersey off? You should be given the yellow card for celebrating if you run into the crowd or you incite... It's indecent It's, it's
3: decent exposure. And also, at the exposure. time, uh, when the rule came in about 20 years ago, there was a lot of political messages on uh, underneath jerseys. So the Rooney one was more football, but there, I remember... Um, Terry on redisplay though, a West Indies, pro West Indies uh, top after. Did he? Yeah, 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 there was something like that for-, it? for He's friend of Brian Ham or something. Anyway, um,. I remember that, and it was the Premier League numbering on its vest as well, so I think they wanted to out on any political messages. Because uh, if you lift your shirt up at all, you get uh, penalised for it. Yeah. Your penalty one, though, I disagree, with, I disagree with Mick as well in the news round last night, just right. get up and smash it. No, like
4: Smash it and then hit hard into a corner.
3: No, I understand the finishing part, but he's like, just go up and hit it. It's just like, no, because it's instantly forgettable then. And this goes back to the Brazil celebrations. It's like the whole point of sport in the first place is escapism. So it's like, The whole point of a penalty is to score it not to be oh, remembered. No, but it's not it's to be not, remembered. No, like, this is the problem. This is the language of a lot of ex-professionals uh, like of a certain era. It's like, go out there and do your job and win. It's like, but no, you're one of the very, 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 very lucky few in dance. the history of mankind to actually play football for a living. It was like, enjoy it. Mm. Please enjoy it so that we can all enjoy it with you. But if you go down with this attitude of like, you know, you have to prepare, like because you, you you can't give the ball away and and don't lose it in the last ten minutes and put the ball in the corner. It's like oh, these games are instantly forgettable as yep. a result. Like it's I fair. have no problem with the shuffle run up. The, it adds entertainment.
4: The last thing that was annoying me, we could probably play the B-roll with the volume down on this one because I don't want to hear it anymore. It's Box Park Wembley. So £25 for a ticket. Now, um, well, Box Park website says, please refrain from throwing things in the air, especially things made out of plastic, your shoes or your hopes and dreams. They hurt. That's on hey. our that website. But, uh, so I, I actually took some notes on this last night when I was watching. I was like, looks like Purgatory on Earth. What, what is it, Shane? What is Box Park? Box Park is a place where England fans go to watch the matches. There's one in, is it, Croydon, Croydon, yeah, Croydon as well. That one, it's very nice. So, that, that was Box Park Wembley where the, the you Minus pay in to, to watch the matches. I can understand going to watch a. a it's a, just a venue, you know, is it? Just a venue, essentially, where you, you pay in, you watch the match in a c- controlled environment, uh, as controlled as that looks, where pints are bought just to be held onto to impulsively then throw into the air when a goal is scored. So, you buy your pint to drink and then you buy your pint a, to wait just for the cameras and then back it in the air when, when the goal is scored. Right. Right. I actually think if, if, if aliens landed on planet Earth, and happened to land at Box Park Wembley during an England match, they would immediately depart, go back to their home planet and say, no, there's, there's no sign of intelligent life on that planet, so oh. there's, there's nothing there. <sighs> um, S- sorry, sorry, hang on a second now. If Roy Keane criticized no no no, yeah, no, 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 let me, let
0: me finish. If, if Roy Keane criticising Brazil for dancing is stomping on their culture and borderline racist. You giving out about English fans throwing beer in the air and nope. being kind of loud and obnoxious. That's their culture, Shane. You've got to let them be who they are. It's not their culture.
4: It's not their culture. I mean, this is this is where... Drinking it, it, shitty warm pints in a Wetherspoons, that's their culture. It's where the Canary Wharf business suits meet... The Brexit here, colonialists, for their, for their beers and they're throwing. It's the, it's the forced celebration. The Brazilian stuff is natural to them. When someone tells yeah. you who they are, Shane, you've got to believe them.
3: To, to defend my clients, there, um, possibly the reason uh, Shane has outlined this problem is when you're throwing your beer nonchalantly up in the air in wild celebration, you could be affecting another human being negatively. You could. Whereas the Brazil celebrations is all good nature. They're not hurting anybody else. To me, to me... Box Park. That could be a difference that... We, here we, what
4: we just watched there makes George Orwell's 1984 look like Teletubby's world. <laughs> I would prefer to be in George Orwell's novels. You can't, you can't switch it off. No, you can't. But that's dystopian. That was a dystopian. Like that video. That's why I don't yeah. want to listen to it anymore. It's dystopian. It's um now you're Alexa listens to you on purpose. <laughs> it does. It's purgatory.
0: Right. Seven fifty six this morning. OTB here and brought to you live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Up next, Key and is going to join us in studio to talk about the Eddie Jones news and Warren Gatland. First, the lads in the news round. Obviously, talking about the fad of unusual penalty run ups at the World Cup.
6: In Japan missed the first penalty, missed the second penalty, and. It became pretty inevitable after that.
7: The penalties were poor as well. Yeah. Did you like Lewandowski's penalty? Uh, f- I didn't the first time, but I liked the fact he backed himself to do the same thing the second time. It's funny. Ruria, it made it kind of cool.
6: Rory O'Connor was in earlier, and he was saying it wasn't for him. He thought it was just had a bit too much going on. Just yeah. take the penalty, kind of.
7: Yeah, but then the fact he did it and it came off the second time was cool. But yeah. it's
4: such a fad at the moment that we're seeing so many like yeah. really crappy penalties being missed. I'm sorry, but do what the first guy for Croatia did and just come down and just whack it whack into it. the corner. Mm. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't know. I just can professional
6: footballers who are this good not trust themselves to kick the ball hard and
4: into the corner. Instead yeah, of, I, take like, the point. I th- it must be harder to do the the, the dance the as you're trying to kick waiting for the keeper to go and a lot of them aren't good enough to do it.
6: I definitely think if you're in a st- it's a standard Premier League game and you're a Jorginho and you're good at it and you're not overly nervous I kind of think I, I understand the logic of well if you wait for the keeper to go then you're guaranteed to score yeah. by running it keepers in go? but well, it's hard not to you know, it's Jorginho it
4: who does the same thing every time why?
6: Every, one in ten times you'll just hit it normally and then you're like Oh, I was waiting right. for him to go but I think if you're under a lot of pressure it's a harder yeah. skill to execute a World Cup final I would think listen Definitely, got to be if feeling the fluid whole
4: world is backs. on your face as we wait for VAR, as we
8: wait for complaining, as and the whole thing takes about five ten minutes yeah. in a shootout. The first, the Japanese, the first penalty taker number ten for Japan was up there for three minutes before he got the pe- got to kick the penalty with the yeah. referee arson around like you know what I mean. Yeah. He knew he was going to miss straight
6: away. Like there's too much going on in it. Perhaps if you're super nervous, but. Um yeah, yeah, I guess it's a it's, uh, fan at the moment for
0: sure. Uh, Keen Tracy, the Art Independent, is with us. Talk to us about the uh, ongoing situation in rugby in England and in Wales. Keen, good morning to you. Morning, lads. Um, right. I, did Wales want to get their stuff out first? Did they want to get their claws? And Warren Gallum wasn't really a runner for England, was he? It
7: looks like the C. Borthwick thing. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, even, even the Ronan O'Gara stuff, I think, was all a bit of shadow boxing. Ronan O'Gara probably didn't do too badly out of it when you think that he's getting a, a nice new contract in La Rochelle now as well. But yeah, I think the succession planning. Obviously England weren't, we're hoping that it didn't come now, it was after the World Cup. I think Bortwick has long been identified as the man, so probably no great surprise if it happens today or tomorrow when Eddie gets the chop. Why are they not giving the job to Scott Robertson? What is wrong with these people? Yeah, I, I still think Scott Robertson, if if be told, is waiting for the All Blacks job, um now, that could be complicated by the fact that Joe Smith has come into the, the All Black setup because when he was doing so well with Ireland, he was being touted as, you know, a possible next man. And New Zealand and the All Blacks generally want their, their coaches to be involved in the system. And that was one of the flies in the ointment for Joe Smith because he was over here. So since he went back and obviously working with the Blues, and now he's obviously very much involved with the, the All Blacks. So he's a potential future candidate as well. But I did notice in Warren Gatlin's press conference yesterday, he gave a ringing endorsement of. Um, of Scott Robertson as well so I think Gatlin probably knew that he wasn't going to get that all-black job beater even since he went back to the Chiefs it hasn't been going that great for him so um, yeah it's a, it's a merry-go-round really isn't it it's a bit like I imagine what covering football is like in, in the Premier League when managers are getting sacked because you just don't really see it in rugby that often at all so maybe it's a bit of a sea change for, for the game as a whole you know
4: I guess Bothwick has been involved with England as well before before the 2019 World Cup as forwards coach so like, what does he bring to it?
7: Yeah, it's interesting. Like his first coaching gig was with Japan under Eddie Jones, so he's very much an, an Eddie Jones, um, an Eddie Jones man. Um, so yeah, like Leicester won the league, the Premier, the Premiership last season under him, and there was no doubt they played well. But I was covering the Champions Cup quarter final when Leicester went over to Welford Road and did an absolute number on them, and I thought like it was just very uninspiring. Um, they don't play attractive rugby whatsoever I mean you, you know what you're going to get with a Steve Bortwick team so what do England and the England supporters want I mean they got booed off against South Africa and the attacking the attacking game plan has been really poor under Eddie Jones for the last couple of years and that seems to be what's been you know the, the straw that broke the camel's back so I was looking I was kind of re- refreshing my memory like the Leicester Tigers attack coach is Richard Wigglesworth who's a player player coach so is we going to bring all of his Leicester Tigers backroom staff in is there someone else going to come in because the attack seems to be what you're crying out for there's no doubt he'll bring stability to the set piece he's a really good forwards coach but it's a calculated risk all the same even from his point of view because I think he would have probably known that after the World Cup it's probably my gig if I wanted but now coming in what's to say the Six Nations won't go well the World Cup won't go well and then all of a sudden he's got this contract possibly until the next World Cup but England fans are already doubting him so I think it's a it's a strange situation but England have probably backed themselves into the corner now Uh, Were you
0: surprised that they didn't make the decision to get rid of Eddie Jones? Like this is all part of Eddie Jones uh, general
7: uh Mm, schedule be really bad before a World Cup but be good at the World Cup I was yeah I I was a bit but I suppose when you go back and look at it you you have to see some evidence of what they're actually doing and I just don't think we have Like he's, he's really nailed his colours to the Marcus Smith Owen Farrell axis and that hasn't really worked at all and that's going to be interesting as well because you look at Marcus Smith and how well he's played for Harlequins and he hasn't been able to translate that kind of form to the international stage at all. And if you go back to Borthwick, they left Leicester left George Ford go at the end of last season and they got in Andre Pollard who hasn't play, really played yet because he's got um, an injury. But Andre Pollard isn't the type of out half either who's going to you know set your game alight. So. What does that mean for someone like Marcus Smith, the Golden Boy of of English rugby? You know, they're still kind of holding out hope that Tuilagi, you know, is the player he was several, several years ago. And even when he's fit, he's looked a shadow of uh, the player he is. So Eddie Jones has kind of pinned his hopes on a couple of players, and then everyone else around him seems to have constantly been coming in and out of the team. Because in the middle of it all, I think they've lost their identity. I think you'd be you'd be struggling to pick england 's best fifteen, I think at the moment, because there just have been no consistency in selection at all, so um from that point of view maybe i 'm not surprised, but yeah you 're right, Jerry like if Eddie Jones does one thing and one thing well, it is get teams right for the World Cup. We saw it in two thousand and nineteen, obviously they came on stuck in the final, but you think back to that semi final performance and mm. sensational. it was incredible. It was one yeah. of the great great performances um definitely of recent years so um yeah like i, I 'm surprised in, in a certain way, but also when you hear fans who were ultimately the ones paying the very expensive tickets going to Twickenham booing at the end of a game, which again is like you don't see that at rugby no. too often as well. Um Eddie Jones coming out saying he doesn't care what people think. Like ultimately like these people who are paying and the tickets in Twickenham are bloody expensive. They're keeping paying his wages in the job. So ticket sales apparently been slow for next year's six nations as well, which right. I imagine comes into when the bean counters are sitting down with yeah. the in the review, this all has to come into it as well. So if you're both with though, you're looking
0: at the World Cup draw and you're thinking oh my god that's a pretty good draw especially the way that all the teams are playing at the moment so Australia could absolutely knife you on any mm-hmm. day that's possible Wales now with a new uh, head coach it's possible uh, Japan are on the same side of the draw and Argentina are on the same side of the draw that's including pool stages uh, quarters semis and uh, then your to a final like it's right there for them yeah. so I can see why the temptation is like well all i got to do is pick 25 who I think are going to be my main 25 work the hell out of them decide on a style of play be very, very, very conservative and um you know swing low sweet chariot.
7: Yeah, but like very conservative, is that gonna please like the, the England supporters because this is what like what do they want do they well, want winning I, rugby or do they want to see well that
0: I, so,
7: right I, I, I think what they'll do is they'll
0: have a little bit of patience for English player strike not quite legend like you know Boiswick good player not great right um, Was am I right in thinking was, did Boiswick win the World Cup was he part of that qual- was,
7: was, was he, he probably uh, just after maybe uh, certainly his? he
0: was a first teamer after yeah. that where they weren't very good for a long period of time and so soldier through a long period You know, very well respected still very young I think he gets a little bit of wiggle room in a way that Eddie
7: Jones' wiggle room rolled out like after the last World Cup Yeah I'm not sure like as I said if the Six Nations doesn't go well we've already seen England fans are booing their team off the field like English rugby is in a strange place at the moment and I think Part of the the reason why the supporters aren't happy is when you look at this style of play, actually, ironically enough, Leicester, a side who won the Premiership last season, um, they've definitely moved to a more expansive game plan. Even Saris this season, who were top of the table, have really reinvented the wheel. Not reinvented the wheel, but in terms of their identity and what they're about. So week in, week out, supporters are seeing... Teams like Harlequins throwing the ball around and playing great rugby. But it, it, that doesn't always fully translate to test rugby. But there's just been so little evidence of that at all. And Marcus Smith, like I said, is the, is the perfect example of that. And yeah, it's going to be pragmatic under Steve Borthwick. I think he's, he's, he'd be very well respected by the players as well coming in. But he doesn't have a lot of time to shape like, his, his identity in his team. The Six Nations, the year of a World Cup you're kind of thinking you're fine-tuning things rather than kind of you know ripping up the script and starting again I rarely I wouldn't put too much stock in the three or four warm-up games that they're going to have because they're always kind of real shadow boxing you don't want to get injured players don't want to get injured and stuff so he really doesn't have a lot of time to to turn it around and like we said Eddie, that's what Eddie Jones does well he gets teams ready for the World Cup so uh, it's going to be interesting I just think it's, re- it's going to be fascinating that if Borthwick comes in who is going to be in his backroom team like I said Richard Wigglesworth is a player coach at Leicester one guy who's very interesting is Aled Walters who was uh, with Munster when Rassi Rasmus came in and did an unbelievable job went to the Springboks helped them win the World Cup he's the head of Athletic Performance uh, Leicester snapped him up he helped them win the Premiership so he's a guy who come, could come into England and I think make a big difference as well he was in. Uh, Bothwick was a member of England's wider <clears throat> 03 World Cup squad, but then narrowly missed selection to the to the final
4: 30. Apparently, um, like, are, are you, would you not rather be taken over an England team on the tough side of the World Cup draw? Like, no, less expectation. <laughs> no, you get you get beaten. Yeah. Well, f- yeah, but there's, there's there's another argument. They could, to it. They could
0: play really badly and reach a World Cup final, and and the
7: side that they play in a World Cup final could easily have been absolutely decimated by injuries. Yeah, Yeah. and and the same can be said for Wales as well, like this exact conversation that we're having. But I think... I think the Wales situation I'm sure we'll get onto is a little bit different. I just think that Eddie Jones' track record it's it's just been such a turnaround from Bill Sweeney and the RFU who were backing him to the hilt constantly mm. and he still has the best winning percentage record of, of any English coach and um Okay November seventy three percent. Yeah, yeah. Um just ahead of Clive Woodward I think is good his good buddy, which is um which is interesting. They've to be having a nice little <laughs> tete tete in, in the media over the the last couple of years but um, yeah like you know like I said when when the fans are getting on top of you it's probably it's probably time to make a change but I'm still a little bit surprised and even from Bortwick's point of view he comes in and like I said if it doesn't go well at the first in the, in the Six Nations he's under massive pressure going into the World Cup Clive Woodward's latest um, pointed comments towards Eddie Jones were pretty good um, so he pointed out that semi-final win
4: in 2019 against the All Blacks but he said he'll be remembered for the misguided rhetoric and unfulfilled promises like do you think history looks back on Added Jones' tenure uh, positively in any stretch?
7: Yeah, like not like they, not winning the World Cup in twenty nineteen after delivering, like we said there, one of the great performances. I mean, that was probably a black mark in his name. And then it's just been downhill ever since then because you're kinda of thinking, okay, this is what England are capable of on their day and they just haven't been able to build on that at all. They've been they've been going backwards. But I still think he'll history will be counting for sure. Um It'll be interesting. I think he's he's been linked with kind of going into America now. So on an eight-year um, deal, on an eight-year deal, which <laughs> you is, can imagine, yeah. there's a lot of zeros at the end of his salary. So like that's a very very different uh, type of gig. So uh, you'd imagine he's gone in with the World Cup, being over there in mind, and kind of maybe it's more of a director of rugby type role. So uh, yeah, interesting times in the in the rugby landscape. Like meanwhile, we're all here kind of getting ready for the Champions Cup, and across the water, they're supposed to be getting ready for the Champions Cup as well. But coaches are being fired left, right, and centre. So it's just some bad times yeah clubs uh, more clubs look like they might
0: uh, get stuck down the sinkhole mm. uh, what about the Warren Gatlin situation then this seems less shocking in many ways that like Pivac was on a very sticky wicket for the whole time it looked like they'd made some recovery in the summer but he just couldn't keep it going
7: yeah, uh, that's less surprising. I mean, when you lose to Georgia and Italy at home in the same year, you were really, uh, you were really kind of on thin ice. Especially then, when Warren Gatland conveniently takes um, a gig, you know, over here and was a prime video he was doing, and you know, he's kind of hanging around and going around visiting the Welsh clubs and saying, okay, like I haven't gone away here at all. And like I said, I think a lot of that was down to the fact that he realised when he went back to New Zealand that the All Blacks job just just wasn't going to happen. Chiefs Chiefs thing hasn't gone all that well for him, so. It's funny, like, reading the coverage over the last few days and on Twitter and stuff, people seem to have forgotten that kind of at the tail end of Gatlin's era that he got a lot of criticism for the style of play, you know, Warren Ball. And we think back to the Lions, like how dour that was. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of selective memory almost. Um, Warren Gatlin's going to come in I think the big question is: Is he going to move with the times? Because the, the game has moved on, and we saw that in South Africa on the Lions tour. Even South Africa themselves in, in November have shown signs of playing a little bit more, little bit more width and stuff. So, um, yeah, like, is he going to change, or is he going to come in and expect to play the exact same style of play with a squad who is not as good? at all as a squad that he had because he was working with a golden generation when he was having all that success with Wales which often kind of gets papered over a little bit like he doesn't have that calibre of players to to call upon now so um there are a couple of good young players, like I mean, a guy like Lewis Rees-Zammit has almost fallen up and become the forgotten man because, yeah. again, Wales just haven't been getting the good, the, the best out of him. So it's interesting. Like Pivac did a really good job at the Scarlets. He's the only kind of Welsh coach, to ha- or, well, c- coach of the Welsh region, to have won a bit of silverware of the last a good while. Uh, but he came in trying to play that Scarlet style of play, and it just didn't work. Like we were talking there about, you know, playing all the bells and whistles rugby that doesn't always translate to test rugby and we saw, for sure we saw that with Wales so, and then he tried to revert back and he realised to, more towards the Warren Gatlin game I and mean, he didn't have the players to do that So, uh, but I've no doubt that Warren Gatlin will definitely galvanise everyone it's just whether he can he, like I said he can kind of fine tune his like Sean Edwards is a big part of his success he's not going to be there who's going to be his attack coach is he going to keep Stephen Jones who really didn't do well you'd have to say under PIVAC so He is good at that though, isn't he? He is good at getting people to
1: to join
0: him and that's the one thing you would say about um, his ability to reinvent. It won't
7: be him doing the reinvention. Mm. He'll get somebody else who knows more about it. Yeah, well, he's normally, he's very much a director of rugby type figure. He he likes to have a coach on, on the field who's doing that kind of stuff for him. But at the same time, like, getting Warren Gatland in is great and I think like most of the supporters will be really happy but it doesn't fix all the issues in, in Welsh rugby and that that is the big kind of overarching sense. Now it was interesting reading the press con- the press release um, with regard to his announcement that it's potentially true to the next World Cup and that he's going to be involved in a root and branch review so this isn't necessarily which I think a lot of people would have assumed that he was coming in for next year that's it, a big fat paycheck and he's yeah. riding off into the yeah. sun so if you can get someone like Warren Gatland in who knows Welsh rugby, obviously, like the back of his hand, and actually fix some of the issues. Because even throughout his time there, he would have butted heads with the Welsh Union quite a lot. So if he's coming back under conditions that okay we're going to make changes then it could like it could be an absolutely genius move so um, like Ireland going to Cardiff first up in the Six Nations suddenly becomes a lot more <laughs> interesting <laughs> doesn't
0: it those grenades <laughs> the, little, uh, the little the little needle the lot of needle that um, Warren Gatland has with Ireland is great and it actually adds something
7: I think mm. to that we've kind of missed it whereas when Pivac was like yeah, yeah, vanilla well nice you yeah. know I mean, particularly if you're losing Eddie Jones you need yeah. you need uh, Warren Gatlin back in a yeah. piece like that his time at the Chiefs was a complete disaster like mm. that we shouldn't uh, so
0: he definitely went home with the notion of I can get the All Blacks gig and then nothing went right so when he signed he, he signed a four year deal with uh, the sabbatical to take over the Lions which uh, immediately is like ok so you're coming you're going to take charge of our club and then you're going to leave us for a while to go and do another job on the other side of the world hmm OK, it's OK, yeah, OK. And then they lost every game. And then while he was away on his sabbatical, the team miraculously improved. Mm-hmm. Like, with no significant change in some some players, but no significant change of, like, uh, playing stock, which would definitely make you a little bit concerned if you're a Welsh
7: fan going, I mean, you had it and then you lost it. You don't always have it exactly, yeah. And he, I think he went back and he again he tried to play that kind of you know one dimensional style of play. And if there's any country that's not going to go down well, it's in New Zealand. You know, Um, I think it was always a bit of a pipe dream that he was going to get the the All Blacks job. I think his kind of media dealings would really put, I I would imagine, the New Zealand Union off and stuff. While it's great from from our point of view. so yeah like this is the big the big kind of question I would say hanging over Warren Gatlin coming back is he going to you know adapt is he going to move with the times because there is absolutely still room for the style of play and it was bloody effective at times but you need more strings to your bow I think in test rugby these days we've seen it with Ireland like the rugby that Ireland playing France are playing like I said even South Africa throughout the November series you know you saw glimpses of them you know trying to play with a little bit more width so um, it's not a foregone conclusion but certainly like you said, Ireland going to, to Cardiff in the opening game of the Six Nations. You're suddenly that looks a lot more dangerous than it did with kind of Wayne Pivac in charge and continuing continuing this. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs>
4: That's what we think. You're, you're delighted for. Is he the risk-free option?
7: Like it, it almost as a feel of Alex Ferguson returning to Man United
4: at some point after he leaves like yeah. it, so there, there has to be risk associated with it Never go back to your ex Shane isn't that what
7: they say? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like we are talking
4: about Ronaldo this morning <laughs>
7: Yeah, yeah th- there is risk but like it, I think the big risk is that you come in and you expect Warren Gatlin to just copy and paste what has worked before which I don't think will work but I think yeah he's a smart appointment and like I said if he's going to come in and do the root and branch review as well then I think it could be a really really smart appointment Alright Keen, good stuff
0: thanks a so million for that Cheers lads you can Tracy on the Irish Independent. It is 15 minutes past 8 this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's competition time. Uh, the Leopard Star Christmas Festival takes place from the 26th to the 29th of December. A great day out for sports fans, socialites and thrill seekers alike. Every day this week we have two hospitality places for the Leopard Sound to give away, a reserve table, lunch, chat and tips from top tipsters and much more to enter. Comment with a horse emoji on our main Twitter page. Add off the ball and you're automatically in the hat. Remember to ensure that your DMs are open because that's how we'll tell you you've won the Leopardstown Christmas Festival from the 26th to the 29th of December. Tickets from €35 available at leopardstown.com. After this short break, our man in Qatar, Kevin Kilvan.
7: OTB AM.
0: With Gillette. Get into your
5: flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar looking at some of them players
4: thinking I want to be there yeah, the next minute you're the best it,
2: it, <laughs> it's mad how quick it changed did it? Yeah. yeah so like for me to go in with with, with Duncan obviously Stubbsy um, obviously every, all of them who have grew up watching him yeah. Mark Pembridge, um, yeah. them kinds, you know <laughs> well, to go to, to then go and play with them um, train with them every day and, mm. and play with them and then so quickly I remember thinking these are crap.
0: <laughs> Kev? Who's <laughs> he talking about Kev? Hi, Jay. <laughs> Name names. Well he
2: mentioned Duncan Duncan and didn't he? So it must be it must be those guys, eh?
0: I think he was uh, I think he was naming them safe in the knowledge that it wasn't them. They were the only ones he still had some respect for. You when did you get there? <laughs>
2: I came, well, Wayne played, made his debut at the end of that season So, you know, obviously the famous Arsenal goal Played two or three games or made a couple of appearances And then I, I signed in the summer just after that So was, he probably only played two or three games and I when I arrived
0: Alright, so you were one of the new arrivals And he's like, oh man, look at this, look at what we're getting here
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was, yeah He went to see the manager knocking on the door saying He wants Champions League quality, you know you know, there you go, there you go. I delivered that in eighteen months' time after. So after Wayne's gone, so you know there was no complaints in, was it? There? there you
4: go. I love the way the, yeah. the interviewer mentions Mark Pembridge and Wayne just oh, has a little giggle. Fired. Just a little giggle. You didn't play yeah. with Mark Pembridge, Kev, did you? Poor Mark Pembridge sitting there going, no, "What am do I
2: doing?" No. <laughs> Mark Pembridge, to be fair to him, he was Wales International, he was a good player he was, yeah indeed, but uh, around that time as well, obviously we, we'd gone in and the club were, it was definitely in a, in a bit of transition Wayne obviously went the following summer after that after the Euros um, but it, it was Wayne was, Wayne I, I think was we saw the frustration in Wayne every single day in training, I don't know if it was frustration or just the way that he played because Wayne would hack everybody down virtually every day and it was, um It was a period of of the club when I don't really know... I don't think they knew at the time where they were going to be going to. The budgets were slashed on Moisey and he was having to try to get players in around, you know, obviously lesser wages and Duncan, Kevin Campbell and players like this was on. So it was a tough period for the club as well. But good characters, great characters in that club. There really was, yeah.
0: When you got there, were you impressed or otherwise with the quality of the squad? Like, did you think similarly to Rooney going, actually, I thought some of these players were better? Are we like, actually, this isn't bad. We could do something here.
2: Uh, No, and I thought they were—I thought very good players, very good players. I mean, um, you've probably seen the Wayne documentary. You've probably seen the Rooney documentary, the one that they had on Prime. And he says the same sort of thing. He just says it differently. He just said, "I knew I was the best player in in the club within." you know two training sessions or one training session. Uh so I I'd heard all that before from him really and um I think that's just his way the way that he's um he's trying to describe things. But no, it, Jerry, they were good players. Really Duncan was a Duncan was very very good, probably underrated like he mentioned Stubbsy there. David Weir, Steve Watson, Tommy Gravison, Tommy Gravison was oh, yeah. top class. Went to went to Real Madrid. So, uh, no, we had we had really good players. It's just that Wayne was was better than all those good players, you know.
0: Yeah, he was he was genuinely proper Champions League world class quality. Uh, so, how long did he stay? I actually don't know. How many years did you play with him?
2: Uh, I had one full season. Yeah, the one full season with him,
0: and then he was gone after that straight away. So they didn't even like yeah. hang on to him. Nowadays, you'd like to think that they'd be able to hang on to him for three seasons and get. To the fringes of Champions League football, use his goals to make some extra money, and um, and maybe keep him.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that, that's what that's what you'd like to think does happen. But he was that good, Joe. That was a thing. Uh, even you know at sixteen, seventeen, when he was when he was in the side, there he he was honestly that good. And you you were watching him in train every day, and you were seeing the power that he had and how we could, you know, we, we had Joseph Yobo, um, a Nigerian international, who was probably the, the quickest player that I would have played alongside. So strong, so quick. Wayne was not quite as quick, but nearly as quick as him, but so much stronger than him. He could just outpower him. And Joseph Yobo had probably played his whole career where he'd been the strongest player, maybe coming through his youth teams and things like that, the quickest player. And all of a sudden, he's got this kid who can just out. Out muscle him, who can just you know brush him aside of the ball, and then he's nearly as quick as him. So if, if he gives Wayne an extra yard, like he used to do with certain players, he'd always be able to catch up. Whereas he wouldn't catch Wayne because Wayne would get away and finish. So you know, which which whatever you brought to to, to, to whatever you, your skill set was within any squad, and probably Man United would have seen it as well to an extent. Wayne was better. Wayne had a different. Wayne had better skill set and better strength, better pace than virtually every player he'd come up against so that was the difference that that he had Did he ever hack you in training Kev Rooney? Really? Oh yeah once or twice yeah yeah he did he was he, he, honestly he he trained like he used to play and every single day uh, and I mean I think we've had these conversations when I've been on with you guys before I used to um, I used to live in between Liverpool and Manchester so I'd drive over to, to Liverpool and I'd probably get in at maybe 8 8.15 8.30 every morning and Wayne was Invariably, always on the training ground. I, I think he got out on the training ground at seven thirty, seven forty-five, whatever it was, and he was practicing. He had an, an unbelievable desire. I, I don't think it was a desire to get better. He wasn't. This, I don't think he had the mindset of, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on a technical aspect of my game to become better at a certain thing. You know, like some players. I think a lot of players now have. Um, have a you know a, a real mindset from a young age. I've got to become better at a certain skill set because my right foot's not better. I'm not great at heading. Uh, you know, I've got to work on my first touch or whatever it would be. Wayne just had this this kid in him that just wanted to play football every single day, and you'd see him out. You know, volleying balls. Lads go out to training every day, and you know we have obviously the um, the prehab and type of. of um, You'd be doing your prehab before training, make sure that everything's right. You're working on your stretching, you're working on anything. Wayne never did that. Wayne wouldn't stretch. He would go out and smash 100 balls into the goal and everything that every sort of uh, sports scientist, every sort of fitness coach is telling you not to do, Wayne would do it. He just had an unbelievable desire just to play football. That was how he was.
0: That's kind of the anger stuff that he talks about coming out, I think. Is it smashing the ball again and again and again? Even though, you know, at some level this might not be the best thing for you, you're still going to do it.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably it. He, I mean, would you say anger? Would you say a, a, an aggressive side to his game? But he did, Yeah, He was. He, he, he Honestly, invariably, I, I, maybe not once a day, but once every other day, once twice a week in training, there would be, you know, an over-the-top tackle. You know, potentially injuring somebody. He um, kind of knew it was going to come with Wayne, and that was on virtually every single player on the training ground. He he had that way about him where he just he, he he played every training session or he the way he trained every single day was as if it was a Champions League final or if it was you know an FA Cup final or you know a, a big game that's going to secure you the Premier League title. That was how he he used to train every single day and. He would go over the top at times. That's how he was, but was, um, that was his DNA.
0: He's he's obviously a man who, at some point along the way, has got therapy because he's talked about having anger issues and that. I think in that documentary and, and various places as well. You, that doesn't that wasn't obvious, or was that like in respect? Ah, okay. When he was trying to crush these uh, grown men in their thirties who were just trying to make a living <laughs> at training and potentially end their careers, maybe that's how that manifested itself.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think in the documentary, I think he does allude to it, doesn't he? About about um, the way that he trained and things like that. Yeah, the, the anger issues, I suppose. I, I don't think he, he mentions it specifically like that. But they they were on. They were they were somewhere underlying the whole time. Yeah, they, they, they were ready to just to bubble to the surface. I think that's the way that he was. And as you say, I was in my twenties then. Yeah, probably mid twenties at that stage, but um, not quite it, reaching my thirties. But um, there was a lot of guys that. I think maybe it was. I think when he realised he was better, and you know, that there was nowhere for him to go at Everton. You know, if, if, as much as you know, he got a lot of stick for leaving Everton. He'd just be just become top scorer at the Euros. He, it was almost he had to go. You know, that Everton had had a huge offer for him that had come in. Where, where did did Wayne see his career? He saw himself winning titles and. I think it was almost as if that was it. He was done around this group of players because he is so much better than them. You know, I'm stronger than you. I'll, I'll I'll kick the shit out of you, whatever it would be. And I need to move on somewhere now where they're going to suit my style of play and and, uh, and be fitting to my standard of play too.
0: And was it that season you guys qualified for the Champions League the season he left, or the year after? Yeah, that's, so that's that that no, next no, season. That
2: year, right, that year. Yeah, we we were in a bit of turmoil that summer when he left. Mo- David Moyes was under a lot of pressure. Um, we replaced Wayne Rooney with Marcus Bent actually um, so like, that, like. Was, that maybe that says it all doesn't it yeah I, I think I think we paid three hundred, four hundred thousand 400,000 for, for Marcus Bent I think it was from Ipswich there was no money in the club so you know you, you're getting 30 million in for Wayne Rooney and, you, and you're only and Moise's budget was probably only 2 million because I think we signed Tim Tim Cahill came in we signed him for 2 million from Millwall Tim was a great signing you know an attacking midfielder you'd he, probably say Tim ended up being that type of replacement for Wayne because he was the one that was the the midfield link who just used to go in and get goals. Not no nowhere near, nowhere near the class of, of of Wayne, don't get me wrong, but he was the guy that was able to go and get the goals, I I suppose. So Moise's budget after selling a thirty million pound player was was probably three million, something like that. So it shows where the club actually was at that time and and then the, the club got better and, and maybe off that Wayne Rooney money over a, a period of time of 10 years, David Moyes went on to have a really successful uh, club there at Everton.
4: Presumably Rooney's top of the pile, Kev, in terms of players you've played with, is he?
2: Um, I mean, I've said it a lot. I Honestly, the only one I think at, at the age at 17 is Robbie, Robbie Keane. There was very little difference, you know, in, in terms of, physicality, Robbie didn't have the physicality, but in terms of his ability and the natural ability, of just just go out and play. He didn't need to go out stretching. He didn't need to go out and do do anything like that. Robbie, I, I do, and I say it a lot. I think Robbie was equally as good, not for what he could bring in terms of being able to run by somebody and you know have that devastating effect on a game, but Robbie could have a devastating effect on a game in a different way. And even on the training ground, we, we'd see that with Robbie. Um, there was very little difference at 17 between Robbie and and Wayne, but Robbie was Irish, so he didn't get the same sort of credit that um, if, if Robbie was English, you'd be talking about Robbie as a player that that was, you know, in the, in the Bobby Charlton mould. Because if Robbie played in that England side and he got in at 17 and 18, Robbie would have been a player that had 50 international goals and. I'm convinced of that, honestly. And I, would would Ray, Wayne Rooney have been able to do what Robbie could do in our side? Probably yes, but but Robbie was very very special. Yeah, very special
0: his longevity is quite, the, the dedication to his craft uh, is something that, that Robbie has um, that maybe gets a little bit underrated. Let's talk a little bit about um, the World Cup stuff before, because obviously you're in Qatar for the World Cup. What about Brazil? What What's the truth here about them? Um, uh, Colin or Shane was making the point earlier on, they haven't yet played anybody who's really put it up to them oh, properly. Is there a possibility that maybe when they come up they, against the team?
2: Maybe, maybe, but let's be honest now. Could you see... I mean, I watch. We spoke about Croatia before the tournament. You've asked me, and I've I've watched Croatia thirty times before the tournament, maybe twenty times, whatever it is. And I said they're they're a good side. You know, I saw them outplay France recently prior to the tournament. And a lot of people do get, you know, fixated with the the form going into a tournament, saying, "Oh, they beat France, and France have lost. France are not in great form, and then France turn up for a tournament and do what they're doing right now." So I don't necessarily think that, but I just know that this Croatian side are a very good side. You know, runners up four years ago. They've 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 produced, haven't they? And they've got trick. They've got amazing football players. And then I watched them yesterday in that Japan game, and I'm like, oh, look, Japan are not a great side. They can't raise the game. So if you're using that analogy of not coming up against great sides. I don't. I don't have it. You have to. You have to do the business. And you know, South Korea had an unbelievable game plan to how they're going to stop them. They played against, they played against Switzerland in this World Cup. They played against Serbia again, who were another very very good side. You can't get away from that. And know Cameroon beat them, but they had ten changes or whatever it was. So you're not going to really judge them on that um, Cameroon performance. And South Korea. Had a game plan. They set up with a way to go and try and beat them. And they, they had, a, you know, tactically they've they've done well to get out of the group. They're not a great side, and I and I know that. But um last night was was special watching them. It was so so special to see that the movement on them, the setup on them, and we get away from the fact is that how unbelievably hard working this team are. they, they, they work so hard and the different from many Brazil sides because Brazil in the past would have just got the the, the great Brazil sides, Joe, that we would have seen in, you know, 86 and 90 and that didn't quite make it and then the, the brilliant Brazil sides of all 2 In our lifetime, Joe, we, we, we maybe remember 86, we maybe remember 90. Do you remember Brazil really taking apart a side like they did last night against South Korea in that 36 minutes, really taking them apart and going to just blitz them and score the four goals, game over? I don't remember a Brazil side doing that. And every side now, the way that they're set up tactically are way better than they were in eighty six and ninety and, and even all two and and they were special teams. don't get me wrong, they're special sides so i I don't take the that analogy no that they've not played a great side yet i i I think sides that have better players will be and physically will be able to deal with the physical side of it. but look how they set up tactically they're starting a four three three Neymar as an eight with um with Puketa, uh as an eight and then they switch when they have the ball. Allison gets the ball, they switch the system. So they go to 3 at the back. Danilo goes into midfield alongside Casemiro. So they make a 3 it's it's 3-2 three, two, um 2-3 two, I think. I if if I've got my numbers in my head right, it's it's unbelievable the change of system. So so Rafinha goes high wide to the right. Vinicius Jr goes high wide to the left. Neymar becomes a striker. He goes right through the middle up alongside Richarlison. And then the movement in midfield is incredible. So tactically, to stop them actually playing out is so hard. And then when they lose the ball, they've got bodies forward that they're able to go and press the ball quickly. But they always have four players back. I talked on it with with Joe when I was on him last week. So they're so hard to be counted on. So if you look at a side and they go, yeah, you can get at Brazil. They're sending bodies forward. Watch them I don't know if you get it maybe with the RT footage there that, that you're watching when if the lads are doing a lot of their analysis on the tactical cam, but it's great to do your analysis on how the setup goes. And you can actually see within within that that they cannot be counted on. So Korea are, are all over the place trying to figure out how to how to stop them when they're in possession, yet they win the ball and they turn and they've, they're swarmed upon straight away. So Brazil are winning the ball back quickly and it's, for the back four or the four players that sat in in, uh, in in defensive position, they don't have to do much running so that they, they're conserving energy for if they're able to be countered beyond and and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a breakaway. So honestly, I mean look at the goal that Korea scored, it had to be a worldly to, to beat Allison who made two or two or three actually decent saves that were long shots. So I don't know. I, I think this side are uh, the real deal in every way. Honestly, the real deal. They've got the they've got the flamboyance. They've got the creativity. Yet yeah, they've got that that real bit of solidity to the team as well.
4: When you're speaking of uh, of Everton, the Brazilian third choice, Weverton, came off the bench last night as well. And like, yeah, D. D. Hammond had his comments on television afterwards, given out about the use of a, a third choice keeper in a, in a match like that as disrespectful. And the dancing was disrespectful as well. I think Roy Keane echoed that. Don't know what your take yeah. on that is.
2: I don't know, you have to again. I go back to I, I always remember Brazilian sides as a kid. I remember the dancing after scoring a goal and the having fun. You know, when when are we gonna are we gonna always say that 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 this game is totally? I mean, I, I I wouldn't have been able to do what those Brazilian players do. So if I was playing for South Korea, I'd be pissed and I'd be saying, you know, I, I don't, I, I'd be I'd be wanting to go on and kick them. I was surprised I didn't get a reaction from South Korea that they didn't go around. Maybe that's you know in the in the nature a little bit those players that, that you know that they don't want to go around disrespecting opposition but i would have been hacking them down as as much as i could probably would have been of the mindset and as irish lads as well we probably would have had a couple of red cards in that game but you y- you can't take away as a spectacle watching it we want to enjoy watching football we want to see players playing with smiles on their faces look at the african side in this tournament doing warm ups and enjoying themselves uh, i don't know I, I i've always as i said i've always watched brazil sides having this enjoyment. It's a spectacle when they score a goal. They they appreciate what it means to actually score a goal at a World Cup final and they want to enjoy it. So I don't think bringing a third choice goalkeeper on is, is, is disrespectful because everybody wants to play at a World Cup and Chee and Chi the coach has recognised that and give them give them a game. And even I, I mean I, I even saw that Chee Chi getting involved in celebrations was disrespectful. It wasn't. The players are the players are playing for him and you know, he, he looked embarrassed doing it, didn't he? He was embarrassed, but he would just wanted to have a bit of crack with the lads and that's all he was Down doing. So, yeah, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? And, and the lads will be laughing about that now and they move on to the next game and, and it's high spirits ready for... Um, ready for who they play now as well, I've just forgot now. Yeah, Croatia. Croatia. And let's be honest, saying, talking about Croatia, I, I think they're going to destroy Croatia because they don't have the energy in the side. A few aging legs that's in their team. They, they struggled against Japan badly. So... I, I'd like to see them continue to enjoy themselves. Why not?
4: I'm convinced it's uh, generational trauma and Catholic guilt that means Irish players never celebrated in that style. Kev, are we ever tempted to just let loose and throw out a wee dance?
2: We, we, well, it's because we can't dance. I think probably if you look at us, as, we're, we're stiff men, aren't we? We, you know, we? we struggle to actually, as you say, we have the dad dance, okay. We celebrated our goals well enough. It might have been the celebration after the game had finished and I think that's how we like to do it. You know, Shane,
4: of course, yeah, yeah. there's nobody going furiously dancing. Good, good songs, yeah, yeah, good songs. songs. Good songs, I, yeah. I think oh, yeah, dance, of course.
0: Yeah. Um, Kev, you're a fan of Morocco uh, tonight's your night.
2: I think so. I am. Um, Spain play well; they'll probably beat them in Spain. But I, I that was my one, one pick for that. I think we've, you know, as much I heard um, Adrian saying it the other day. As much as we want a shock or two in a World Cup, when you get to the last eight, you want you want these matchups that we've got up to now, don't we? We've got incredible games um, for different reasons. So you know, Europe against South America, the big big nations against each other. We want that. But if there's one shock that I looked at for the last eight, watching Morocco, the power that they have in the team, how organised they are as well, good defensively, very good going forward. Good players, uh, Jerry. I, this is the one thing. I, I think Portugal have too much for um, for Switzerland. Uh, although, I, again, I, I I think Switzerland as well. They, they continue to surprise as they continue to get results. So that wouldn't that it wouldn't be a huge surprise. But I think Portugal will win. And but this is the one. I, I think uh, Morocco beat beat Spain. Yes
0: there's a good chance either or both of these games could go to extra time and penalties mm-hmm. it's at that stage of the tournament where like I really want to see the Spain team develop and blossom and explode and let the the, let yeah. the kids be the kids um, but this is one of those games where those kids are going to be up against grown men who see the opportunity of a lifetime to get Morocco to the quarterfinals against you know Portugal side yeah. they would fancy themselves like or even yeah. like even Switzerland if Switzerland could, you know but then,
2: I mean, it's the it's the it's the quarter final that we want. We'd love to see Spain Portugal in a yeah. quarter quarterfinal and look at the rest of the games. I, I think no matter what anyone says, we want the romance of of shocks so and we want these lesser teams to to go through. But imagine that Spain Portugal quarterfinal. That would be just an incredible game, clash of styles a little bit as well. It'd just be such a great watch. But I don't know. We'll see. If, if, if all goes to plan, Spain. Turn up and Gavi and Pedri produce what they what they can produce, and Morata continues to score the goals, and they're they, they, they able to hold off defensively. I'm not too sure about the goalkeepers; maybe a big issue as well. I think for them, um, and I don't I don't think at the back they're the best. I think they've as I said before, there's real real pace in this Moroccan team, so Morocco could hurt them. And if they get a goal, I think they've got to maybe a formula and a strategy to to, to defend deep and, and nullify a threat as well. So there's different ways that I've seen from, from Morocco where they can actually play they can play a real attacking game but they can also play a real defensive side game so if they do get a goal I think Spain will find it difficult to break them down Alright Kev, okay, great stuff as ever thanks a million Thanks Joe. thanks very much cheers Shane Enjoy the games Cheers
0: It's uh, Kevin Kavan in Qatar if you want to get in touch with us this morning by the way 0879 180 is the WhatsApp number Or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream, and we're live each morning with Gillette. Now, with thanks to our partners at Gillette, we have a great prize to give away. Head over to our social channels for a chance to win a Gillette Labs heated razor. It's a great prize for you or your family this Christmas. Just nominate your heated moment of the weekend for your chance to win. right. Good morning, John Duggan. You want to say
4: something? I think uh, Cristiano Nalo's going to miss the uh, a crucial penalty in a shootout of this World Cup. That's your prediction? That's my prediction. That's your, that's your heated moment of the weekend? Whether it's whether it's today or whether it's against uh, Spain in the quarterfinal,
0: I'd love to see it. We should make this like your, your most wanted heated moment of the weekend. So your most outrageous thing that's going to happen. And the best one wins. I think, I mean, I yep. realise I'm supposed to have these ideas before I go on air. <laughs> I'm supposed to communicate them with other people before we actually go live with this. But, you know, sometimes... Uh, yeah, I'm for it. Sometimes the, the old hamster wheel creaks slowly. Live production meeting, yeah, yeah, I like it. John Duggan. Jaron Chen, how are we? What's going on? Asher, look, enjoying the World Cup,
4: you know. <laughs> um,
0: Finney Perth with a big shout. One of the best World Cups
5: of our lifetime. No, I don't know about that now.
4: Where um, does it rank for you, John?
5: Uh, well, it's it's too early to say. We can't make a full appraisal until we see the, the real business in the semi semifinal and final. Um, I would say it's probably one of the most open World Cups um, but there 's definitely a huge amount of issues like you, you know, when you 're not having stadiums full mm. it 's a big problem like to me uh and that that is a real negative uh, from what I can see um i think there's there 's loads of things you can talk about this World cup like the, the lack of alcohol is that creating a better atmosphere um no no issues no not many virals really out of this World cup um the fact that it is in one place uh with not that many fans but it 's easier for the fans. Because if you're going to Canada, USA, and Mexico, how many games you're really going to see? Well, you're not going to meet any fans from other countries apart from the ones who are at the game. Exactly. Uh, whereas in Moscow, the two stadiums um, four years ago, and you know there's a real congregation of fans. And in other countries where they've had it like Germany and that in the past, you had a better congregation. So um, there is a edifice that's just been built for this thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, everybody was saying that the Russia World Cup four years ago was one of the best ever World Cups. Uh, but that now is almost like something you can't talk about because of the genocidal war that the Kremlin have um, launched on Ukraine. So um, there've been some great World Cups. Two thousand six was great. Nineteen ninety eight was great. Um, Nineteen ninety four was great. And I, I just think we need to see what happens in the in the coming uh, two weeks to see what happens um, in terms I think of appraisal. W-
0: we and um, Brazil. Probably think 94 was great. Mm. Everybody else the quality of football was terrible. Yeah.
5: Mm. I, I, and it, well, it's sometimes a... It's very localised viewpoint. The final was crap, wasn't it? It was. It was terrible. It was in the heat of Los Angeles and it was um, 120 minutes of boredom. Diana Ross set the tone. Mm. Uh, but the, I think the more the, that World Cup was up with the novelty. The novelty of it being in America. The loads of goals and you've, like, Bulgaria and Romania causing... Yeah, blocks. in fairness, in fairness. Bulgaria did play really well and that was the hrschlost World Cup. Yeah. Uh, Hadji in that. And... Um, the heat like a, a great story. It was just it was such a novelty at the time. And once again, I think what a lot of people remember that is the times of the games are great. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, um, just really good times like le- like late late games. And if you're a, a young person, that w- that was pretty cool. Um, so last night, uh, well, it was it was brilliant, wasn't it? Uh, so
0: in four years' time, the times are all going to be great, are they? Are there no? Uh, no, assume- West Coast America is going to be disastrous. Oh,
4: West Coast as well, yeah. Well, that could be. That could be eleven those? p.m. or whatever. Yeah, uh, or, or
5: much later. Yeah, or later. Yeah. Well, if I'm here, if I'm a, uh, still on this globe, I'll, I'm going to be there because um, I really get the sense that these are the things you want to be at. You want to be in Germany if you can. You want to be in the states. You want to be at these these things. This is what it's, well, it's all about, and um, it's just some of the imagery of of the like Japanese and Korean fans crying and um, the, the, the the dancing last night, and um, you really do get the sense that this is the people's um, event. Were disgraceful weren't they the Brazilians for dancing John well I mean Roy Keane's got a magic in the way he can um, take something and then put it into his own context and dominate the media landscape that is a real skill <laughs> it is a real skill literally a five second phrase from the it's, it's, it's a skill it's, I, it's a real skill it is a it skill is I actually thought he was taking
0: the pace to be honest at the start and I, I, like when, when you see the, uh, it was written down it's terrible but like I mean he's got the, he's got the sparkle in his eyes Diddy Heman did not have the sparkle in his eyes when no, he no. was saying it. He was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, that was the, the implication. I was like, is it really?
5: No, it's not. I mean, is um, it, is, it, what's, what's the Brazil coach's job? Well, I, well, the Brazil coach's job is to have unity, and he's getting a huge amount of unity by playing every single player in that squad in this World Cup so far. Yeah. And nobody, and, nobody can complain. I mean, some players will complain. There, 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 Brazil, there's actually something I think quite intimidating for the opposition about that. Uh, seeing that that joy and that exuberance and, and everybody celebrating. It must not be easy if you're a Croatian player now thinking of what might be coming on Friday afternoon with that. Um, everybody's in all in on Brazil because I still think the scars are there uh, on the Brazilian psyche and the soul of football in Brazil after the 7-1 to Germany and the only thing that's going to cure that is winning this World Cup. That's why Ronaldo's there doing interviews with Richardson after the game. All the big guns are out. They're really trying to create this atmosphere of where everything's united and I still think Neymar can, can have even more of an impact in this World Cup. Um, but to call a winner is, is difficult. And Brazil will look pretty silly if they don't win it. Um, but at the moment, they are looking like the most likely winners. Um, but it is open. And uh, Argentina will have it all their own way against the Dutch. And I really do feel that England can beat France. As Kev
4: said there, like we haven't seen that from Brazil too often in the World Cups. That, that thirty 35-minute period where they just take a game and strangle the opposition. Well, the, transitions, four goals.
5: the transitions to speed the options and it looks like the balance of the team is good now but an injury or two you know Jesus and uh strength
4: of depth is enough is it not even-
5: it probably is enough with Rodrigo with um, Gabriel Martinetti was very good against Cameroon mm. and uh even Bruno Guimaraes who didn't have the best game against Cameroon, you know, you've you've a lot of options. And like that's why like Japan out in their feet, South Korea out in their feet, Croatia I think will be out in their feet on a Friday. You have to have good squad depth and have those five substitutes as as impact options that can really make a difference. Mm, and yes. that's what I think we're gonna see. And that's why Argentina did they have that? Um I'm not so sure. You've called the England Brazil final now, haven't you, in recent days? Yeah, it was what the Gut was saying. Um, much to the chagrin of my Twitter following. uh, At JohnLoganSport, by the way, if you want to follow. Um, Yeah, that's what my gut is telling me at the moment. Um, But I'm hoping that Brazil do it on on Sunday week. Netherlands, Argentina, I'm just looking. 7pm
4: on Friday as well, right
5: during our
4: our work Christmas party, which is something to look forward to. Hopefully there's a screen on show, because that's a
5: game you don't want to miss. I mean, that's probably one of the games of the weekend. Well, I never got on Fridays anyway, so... um but yeah, it was interesting what Kevin was saying about Morocco, Spain. Um, Alvaro Morata has scored in every game. Morocco, have he lost two of their last forty-two matches, um, that'll be a fascinating battle of tactical styles. And then Portugal, Switzerland, I feel is going to go all the way. Um, I don't know how positive Ronaldo's impact is in the Portuguese setup.
0: Well, they're finally starting to turn on him. It's, very, it's a very telling moment when the untouchable icon suddenly is getting criticised by the manager. That's, I thought that was very telling
5: in public, and we saw with Brazil, uh, sorry Germany and Belgium, that if the camp isn't fully happy, it, it does have a, a negative impact. The Danes were just completely listless at this World Cup, and I don't know if Portugal are going to be able to maximise their potential until Ronaldo's gone. You haven't hardly seen Raphael Lowe, for example; he's the one like one of the stars of Syria, and um, I just don't know. I just think the Swiss are dogged, they're defensive, they're Jack Charlton esque. And they've got a bloody good record now. I just think they're going to frustrate Portugal. So penalties, it could be. Yeah, that that to me is like Switzerland winning on penalties.
4: Do you know when you see Ronaldo gesticulating and coaching from behind Fernando Santos's back across the years? Like it, he seems to have done it quite often. He when he substituted, he, he becomes a coach. That gives me the ick.
5: Well, well I like give him the shoulder. The Euro twenty sixteen final. <laughs> yeah, um, it was very funny at the time. But Ronaldo, there's a sourness that's come into Ronaldo's vibe that mm. that is not very. Um, Define is that the word?
4: Maybe it happens to us all as we get older. Maybe I
5: don't know. No, well, we you know, I, well, I, you know, I suppose you saw for me in the production box three years, Jane. So of
4: course, yeah, yeah, and I think you got. I think if. Got easier to deal with, John. Okay, you've well, gone the other way for Ronaldo. Well, that's, uh, that's aged good. gracefully, and, that's, and good,
5: that's that's good to know. Mellowed, yeah, that's, yeah. That's it's probably right actually.
4: It's all it's the strolls on Kalani. See, it's, it's the beach. Yeah, it's the. I know he yeah. has the beaches in Madeira, but I think Kalani is something. Yeah. something about the stones underneath your feet, well, the grounds of a human being.
5: Uh, well, I think that anybody who um, is in Dublin should get out there for a walk. Uh, the hill itself, it's it's an amazing place. Like it's a. It's right here. Uh, And one thing that sometimes we kind of lack uh, awareness of, and I was one of those people for a long time, is just what is on your doorstep? Whether it's Clare, Donegal, uh, Monaghan, um, Kildare, uh, Cork. I I think, yeah, I think if
4: Cristiano was watching this morning, I think if there's a spare room in your gaff, John, even for a couple of nights, he could do with maybe flying (laughs) over and staying in Killiney and (laughs) grounding himself again because he's he's just lost his way a little bit.
5: Yeah, well, um, I don't know if he'd like to fry up. I well probably wouldn't. <laughs> no. I enjoy it too much. Yeah. Uh, right. Anything else? Uh,
0: not much. Um, Eddie Jones
5: probably going to be sacked today.
0: Um, I'm, for- I'm I'm disappointed. I, I kind of hope that it would mm. burn out in, in the group stages at the World Cup.
5: Uh, Warren Ball is back in Wales. That's good news. And um, horse racing Ireland awards last night honeysuckle horse of the year. Uh, Kevin Manning won the Irish uh, Hero Award and uh, JB McManus contribution to the industry Award, and um, it's all though, about the World Cup, isn't it? About these two matches. And have you feeling anything in your waters, lads, about predictions or, or what, what you feeling about England now?
0: Um, I I hope that from an England perspective that they go and try and win the game as opposed to picking five at the back. I think he's probably going to pick five at the back, and I think it's wrong. And
4: as a result, I don't think they're going to go through. Hmm. Right. Yeah, the French have a vibe about them. There's, as Brazil go on, I think everyone is sort of landing into that territory of Brazil being favourites. Right. Um, but we're very reactionary, aren't we? Like After each day's action, we're like,
5: oh, they're the favourites now. Is anybody going to beat Mbappe? So you think Lichardus still has a chance on three? Uh, well, each way. So um, it just depends how far you get in the tournament, I think. Um, I think you need six. Whoever gets to six will do it. Morata. <clears throat> yeah,
0: like... It's not beyond the of possibility that Murat is also sitting, sneaking along there on, on his three. Yeah. So, need a big game tonight, and they need to go through. Right, John Duggan. All right, stuff.
5: Jared, Shane, mind yourselves.
0: More from John and Off the Ball on Saturday afternoons on News Talk. Now, uh, the Leperstown Christmas Festival takes place from the 26th to the 29th of December. It's a great day out for sports fans, socialites, and thrill-seekers alike. Every day this week. We have two hospitality places for the Leopardstown Pavilion to give away. You get a reserved table, lunch, chat, and tips from top tipsters, and much more as well. To enter, just comment with a horse. <coughs> to enter, sorry, just comment with a horse emoji on our main Twitter page. Add off the ball, and you're automatically in the hat. And remember to ensure that your DMs are open because that's how we'll contact you. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival is December twenty sixth to twenty ninth. Tickets from thirty five euro available at leopardstown.com. dot com. Now, back to uh, Gaelic Games and I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by uh GoAGA Chairman Paul Bellu. Paul, good morning to you, how are you?
8: Morning lads, I'm very well and
0: yourselves? Yeah, welcome back. Um we we talked to you about a year ago, I think, at this stage, um when you'd pulled off the coup of, of getting Henry Shefflin to join as uh I I think your role has changed in the meantime. Am I did I miss a year or is that that was last year, right?
8: Yeah I was chairperson of the hurling committee in Galway last year we'd have a hurling and football committee and then we'd have the county board and uh, after that uh, I got a notion to go a bit further afield here and uh, so yeah first year as county chairperson just put down
0: What's that experience like moving from being responsible for one of the two sports and then actually having to you know, undo some of the, the unconscious bias that everybody has when they're looking after their own parish
8: yeah, it's a, it's a fair shout and there's always been a little bit of that in Galway. I think, you know, you're a hurling background or you're a football background and to me it was always always very over-emphasized and, and didn't need to be. So it's actually went very well. Um, I've, I've made a strong commitment to I'm a Galway GA person first and foremost and uh, everyone was treated equally and fairly and look, we've, we've a great team with us as well. So I think that kind of Divide is is going away the longer we go on, and uh, I said everyone got treated equally, be it financially, uh, in every every way possible, and that that is borne out. But look, it's both teams, both management teams, both boards. Everybody's working together now, and that's that's what's important.
0: Um, did it help that you had kind of come through the ranks to see exactly what the difficulties had been, and and had gone through some difficult periods as well?
8: Yeah, uh, yeah, I had two years done as hurling chairperson, a couple of years done for that as delegate. So I have not been, haven't been around the longest, but I probably was there when, when things weren't in the best position possible. So I had a fairly good understanding of it. And I think a fairly good understanding of what was required to move on. And I've always been very clear. There has been good work going on in Galway. For three or four years, it it probably just hadn't bubbled to the surface enough. And I think we had been pretty poor communication-wise, didn't help ourselves. That was one of the motivating factors for me anyway to get involved was – you know, we we could do a lot better job in helping ourselves and showing what was actually happening. And I think in today's world, as you know better than everyone else, communication is key. and uh, And I think that that's that's coming out now.
0: And that was part of the motivation for coming on last year was to talk about some of the the funding around the hurlers, in particular. You made a commitment that the hurling team, in particular, at that stage, because that was your your bailiwick, uh, would would not want for any funding. And lo and behold, the figures are absolutely backing up exactly the commitment you made. Both teams. Um, Combined, um, ended up costing the county board roughly over two million. But you've been very, very clear in where the money was spent and how it was spent. And I think it's really welcome that this level of transparency is available to everybody to see.
8: Absolutely, and, and there's nothing to hide you know I, you'll see I' touch on it again in a couple of minutes. Everything we've produced in the last while has been upfront and open, even our sponsorship agreement you know you hear things at times about being commercially sensitive ourselves and Supermax made an agreement. We know what it is here's let 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 the people see what it is, similarly, on the spend, you know it was always going to be a headline figure or two million we we knew ourselves when it came in that that's going to grab headlines and grab attention. I made a commitment that Galway would be one of the best resource teams in Hurling when that was my side of the house. When I came in, I said football would be the exact same. Uh, traditionally in Galway, the Hurling would outspend the football. Uh, that has That's changed for the, for the first year ever. And obviously, reaching the All-Ireland final is a circumstance of that. Um, so we said we make no apologies for it. You know, we'll, we'll get the odd kick about it and, runaway train you'll hear things like that but the bottom line is we played 49 inter-county games last year between under 20 under 17 and senior um we won the all-ireland minor we Got the All Ireland football final. We were beaten by the eventual All Ireland champions in every competition in hurling by a combined total of six points. You know that's that's what it takes. Uh, you know that that's where it went. We're very transparent about where it went in terms of player expenses, uh, medical gear. A lot of this is GPA mandated, mandated, and rightly so. Um, we were one of the people last year when we went on to Crow Park that there should be at least four sessions a week for our players, uh, and we'll stand over that again this year. And we carried big panels there in both. Um, we're extending out our development panels as well, so that our our management have enough resource from a playing perspective. So as I said, we we know where it went. We're not surprised that it hit that figure. And, um, you know, it probably won't be a million miles off again next year if we have the same success.
0: So that's the cost of doing business. But I think the other thing that you spoke about when we we talked a year ago was the opportunities that um, a county like Galway, but actually loads of counties have in tapping into uh, corporate Finance and in tapping into forms of sponsorship in, in energising the supporter base mm. to buy your gear and to be consumers of your products and, and partners with you on that road so it's not, you don't just view them as like potential revenue sources but like here is stuff that you would like to be involved in how can you help us and every time you help us it's going to help the, the, the various teams that you talk about and not just the senior intercounty team so how did you go about raising the revenue because you actually ended up with a surplus despite the fact that the spend is bigger than it ever has been before
8: well, that's the thing. If, if we had a 400k uh, hole and we were spending two, two million, we'd have serious problems. So, no, we returned a deficit of about 410k. Uh, in line with that. So fundraising. Um, a, surplus, was, a surplus, yeah. A surplus, sorry, yeah. So that was very strong, you know, in the year. And it could, could, could will uh, we expect that to be a lot more next year. Um, and we also have the issue, you know, we are paying about 330K per year on, on an outstanding loan, but that's in the background now. That's boxed away. It'll be gone by 2027. And we're happy that that's looked after. We're, we're only worried about the future. But there's massive commercial confidence and, and opportunity in Galway at the moment. Uh, there's a real, Uh, sense of people wanting to be interested, as you said, in the corporate sphere. We raised in the region of 350000 in 11 days um, between the All-Ireland semi-final and the final. So the interest was off the charts, I have to say. And again, look, at a lot of this is down to the success of your teams, but also off the field, just letting people know where it goes, uh, what it's for, how it works. We've basically going as cashless as we can from a ticketing perspective, even for the All-Ireland final tickets. So just best practice in a range of, of areas is bringing that confidence forward as uh, say we had our new deal a couple of weeks ago where you know there was interest in in the Galway brand and it managed to get us the best possible deal with 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 PASS and, and Supermax who were the incumbent and very determined to hold on to it and again for anyone to invest 2.25 million in you over five years whether you win a match or not uh, is pretty unprecedented if you look into the nature of most of the agreements out there a lot I, of them are heavily performance driven
0: I think this is really important to just um, to tease that out a little bit because there was a period uh, during the the previous sponsorship where Supermax had issued questions about where's our money going we want some transparency so to me, that's like one of those deals like, well, this deal is going to reach the end and then never again. So obviously, you've managed to fix that relationship and and deepen it. And they clearly feel like they're getting the level of transparency and reporting that they need to feel like their money is being well spent.
8: Yeah, and Pat has said that at the launch, you know, and to be fair, again, he's a very strong relationship with Mark Gotcha, our operations and finance manager, and Mike Burke, our treasurer. Um, they were relationship managers. They were they've, they've a very strong relationship with Pat over the last couple of years. And similarly, when I came in, I couldn't say uh, only good things about it. And the past was the past. And, I produced a, a vision statement of where things were going, and I think I think they were very happy with that, and, and they've seen it reflected. So, you know, they've endorsed that. A five year agreement in the current climate is not easily got either. Um, so that that was kind of a reflection of confidence in in the teams uh, and in the board. As I said, particularly with the with the base level that's going in, no matter what. And you know, we we've a bonus structure in place that I think Pat will be very determined that we reach that as well with success on the field.
4: I'm sure the Pier Stadium naming rights, uh, Paul, which have been mooted for, for a while, will be a bit of a boost next year as well. That'll be after Christmas, I assume?
8: Yeah, there's there's talks ongoing in that position. There Again, there's interest. Um, if the deal is right for us, we'll do it. I think a naming right position is can be emotive enough. So it just has to be the right fit for us. And uh, and we have options in that regard. The main one for us, Shane, is is lights in Pier Stadium um, for the league in 2024. That's our real ambition now at the moment. It's it's probably not acceptable in this day and age that a county, the status of Galway in, in hurling and football, hasn't the ability to have Saturday night games or um, you know, even for club at the latter end of the season. So that's very much the neck the major strategic project in Galway at the moment. We've got a good bit of funding put aside for that, but we, we will need a final push uh, to get that over the line as well. Um you know, that's that's that'll be one of the final pieces to cap off, I think, on the commercial and, and fundraising side and uh it's all systems go on that front.
4: You wouldn't stick some haters in maybe to the Pier Stadium as uh, well. I was,
8: I was I was in it on Sunday and uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you. But it was December. Um, so it was um yeah, it's uh, it was cold it was cold on Sunday. But look, it's it's Saturday night games. I think if you mix it up a bit, we often hear bits about Pier Stadium been you know, not the ideal venue. Again, a lot of that can turn into a bit of myth as well. You know, traffic, etc. It wasn't really brilliant traffic plans this year in conjunction with the council and uh, and the guards, and and it worked out pretty well for the inter-county games. So, but Saturday night games bring a bring a different element to it. Uh, it'd be great for the city as well and for for the Salt Hill area. So people have plenty of chance to warm up afterwards. Yeah,
4: for sure. One head jump. Yeah, uh, okay.
8: The
0: other thing that I wanted to ask you about was the castle stuff. Um, we're seeing. Very many counties report a surge in uh, gate receipts from club matches. Now, it might be because the club matches are in a better time of the year, and it's going to be very interesting to see over the next couple of years as we trace trends. How important is going cashless, do you think, in, in helping to boost the coffers, not just in, in
8: Galway, but nationally? Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, we were about, I think, just over 80% cashless this year. We left a turnstile option for, uh, pretty much for OAPs. We had a big discussion about it. We left it. We charged, um, we charged more then for, for non-OAPs for people that were coming up on the day to disincentivize, uh, you know, people paying cash. Um, so. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, it is the way forward. Um, you're also, from a planning perspective, we're just saying we know how much tickets we've sold in advance from a stewarding point of view, from a data perspective. It, it's excellent. Um, you know, the two million figure was always going to jump out on, on um, spend. But the big story for us internally here in Galway, again, is our club game generated 1.4 million uh, this year, uh, 1.2 million of that in gates, the rest in streaming and commercial income. Uh, it's off the charts. I, I really hard, find it hard to explain. Um, like that is the big story for, for a cl- county scene, a club scene to generate 1.4 million. And do you um, have any idea, Paul, what that would have been before the pandemic? So
0: is there anything that you can kind of? Our,
8: the last comparable figure was just under the million in 2019. Right. Okay. Yeah. So so a thirty five to forty percent increase. It's a significant increase and it's the growth and popularity of our games, you know. Um, look at I'm I'm a big fan of the split season, I'm not going to mince my words on it. I I actually think you're going to see a lot of surpluses in the next few weeks. And I think there's a message in there somewhere that club club games, it'll never replace the county game. I've never been a, a fan of this. I've often heard it been said, I know it's heard on this show a lot as well, You know, oh, the club is a good product and all this. It's not, it's a local product, but that's okay too. And uh, I, I, I am a big advocate for, I know there's certain areas where we think there's losses, but I think counties are becoming more sustainable and ability to stand on their own feet because when the games have been played, because of the interest generated in them. Um, so for me, from that perspective, I, I just think, you no know, more than the edge grade piece, which which I don't know, do we, we don't even want to touch that. Well,
0: no, I, I, I do, we, yeah. yeah.
8: We, we could be here for an hour. But again, can we not just leave things for a couple of years and see how they go? Because we have this habit in the GA of changing something after one year or two years when we don't fully know what's working or what's not working. And I would say that, is the split season perfect? No. Is it better than, ever, than we've had before? Absolutely,
4: yes. Before I touch on the edge-grade thing, uh, Paul, can just, uh, it was interesting to see comments from John Costlow out of the Dublin GA um, annual report. He was talking about this national coaching and development funding, um, and of course there's been changes to qualifying criteria, and he was pointing out that it means there's an annual coaching cut into the capital of, of €447,000. Um, does this affect Galway in a similar way, do you have any sympathy for Dubliner?
8: It it uh, it doubles Galway's funding, but we're not happy with that. You know, there was the John Connellan motion last year, which we were much more in favour of. That was membership based. Galway and Cork had got the raw deal possible from a coaching funding perspective for years, and we've always been, you know, pretty annoyed about that. Uh, the John Connellan motion went forward last year, which would have given us in the region of three quarters of a million to eight hundred thousand in funding. Uh, we've ended up with about five fifty up from something in the two. 200s. So obviously that's positive. But again, you always want more. Um, so we want an equitable funding model. Of course, in fairness to John, that, that's a massive hit in terms of what you had. But relatively speaking, uh, sympathy wise, I've had to look after Galway. Cork have to look after Cork. And we're only coming back to some form of parity now in terms of our membership relative to what we have been receiving. It always struck me that um, the,
0: the, the way that this conversation works is pitting counties against each other as opposed to actually, I always feel like if the counties got together and decided that they were going to tell Croke Park what was going to happen, there might be a better way of doing this. It feels a little bit like um, the, the the funding in Dublin was designed to try and get the urban centres uh, GA coaching at a level that was going to allow them to be competitive with other sports. And like just as a general kind of, we don't fund sporting uh, sport properly in the country and we're starting to get to a point where our funding matches other European countries or New Zealand or Australia but we're not there yet I actually feel like you're right you should get the same as 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 Dublin but Dublin shouldn't be cut you guys should just be getting more it turns out that the GA. Does generate loads of cash because they don't have to pay the players and they're filling massive stadiums. You know, I, there's definitely a way for the money to be generated and spent more equitably. But I, I think there was always a like, oh, the dubs. And I'm not accusing you of that, but certainly we in yeah. the media were always guilty of like, oh, the dubs are getting too much. It's a disaster. It's like, pay everybody else more.
8: It, it, it doesn't all have to be relative to each other, as you rightly say. You know, can you not look after the issues where they are? And uh, and it was very successful. Let's let's be honest. And and they were there were risks at the time in the capital. I think the big one for me, and I've raised this at, at coaching development level in, in Crow Park is what I think is there needs to be an urban strategy. And an urban strategy in Dublin doesn't look too different from an urban strategy in Galway, Belfast, Limerick, Waterford. That's where I have, have my concerns going forward is that that's where the strategy piece and the money to match should go. Um, we'll always work different parts of Galway, rurally, etc. We'll always, you know, a certain amount will always look after that. So that's where my piece has come from is the, the urban strategy needs to be matched across the country. And I, I, look, I wouldn't disagree with anything you have to say. I think there's enough to go around and it shouldn't be about taking away to satisfy, you know, possibly some competitive count, intra county, uh, grudges between people. There, there should be enough to go around. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the urban strategy is, is a great idea. I, like, I don't, is, it, is that being adopted? There is no. There is no concrete urban strategy. And I've had it said to me a couple of times. Oh, every city is different. "Mm, Not really. Not really. Most of them have the same challenges, same issues, same problems. And I think if there's one thing, and I said it it was only two weeks ago, we had a call with coaching and games and I did push it again. You know, there should be an urban strategy devised for the, for the, for the GA, because, um, it's where I think it's where the next big battleground from participation um issue is well uh, surely somebody
0: like the ESRI could easily come up with uh, the here's the definition of an urban area these are the ones that, that would qualify and that's where we'll start with and we'll roll it out you know to smaller towns which also have uh, dense populations if we need to as and when like you, yeah. got, you got to think 20 25 years in these types of projects because the impact of the 20 25 years of investment in Dublin is starting to manifest itself and like let let's let's try and make it as equitable as possible without costing the, the GA communities who have been successful, uh, the funding because there's going to be job losses and like I, you know, I'll see the impact of that in, in my local club and be like, this doesn't actually make any sense when actually there's a way of funding this so that everybody feels like they're getting the same. But sorry, we we went down that tangent. Let's talk about the underage stuff because you, you did um, speak about this very strongly in your statement. Um, what, what's your view? Where where should we be going with this?
8: Um, yeah, like, as I said, you could do, you could do one of your shows that you do in a You could spend two hours. I, I'd be annoyed at some of what's going on in terms of the emotive narrative out there. You know, we're losing players. Like, Jay's always lost players. You know, I played under 21, what, 15, 16 years ago. We struggled to field. It narrows down. You come up along, you do lose players. But this thing, we're losing them to rugby and soccer uh, as if it never happened before. This emotive argument about 18, you know, it has to be 18. I just don't think you can have your cake and eat it. Decoupling is one of the most important things that has ever happened in the GA. it, And it's not just about making fixtures' lives easier. It's actually about making clubs and players' lives easier. There is no way in a dual-counter that you can have an 18-year-old playing minor at 18 Allowed play adult and then expect to put a competition in between 18 and adult at under 20 or under 21 level. It is just absolutely not feasible in a county like Galway. And to be honest, I don't think a dual county who promotes the game equally, who spends their money equally and, and, you know, has more people playing games than any other counties should be punished that you end the dual player. Because let's be very clear. That's what would happen if you allow 18, if you allow minor go to 18. And allow them play adult. That is what's going to happen. I mapped it out at convention. It would mean in Galway that an 18-year-old in a dual club or a dual area um, would be playing eight games in 16 days um, over a three-month period, a 12- to 14-week period. What would it mean? It would mean the end of the dual player. What would it also mean? It would in, mean the end of the age grade above 18 uh, at 20 or 21. That would just disappear. And that would create the next problem of where there's no... Um, pathway through so look we're now Clarence Galway I do understand this and I and I know this might it might bore people to tears we're at 13 15 17 we run 19s at football 20s at hurling and then up into adult we've never had more people playing the games in Galway we've never had more participation we've never had more teams coming through to the very end at adult level which is what it's all about and I just think there's been a failure in some departments to run competitions above 17 that are really, truly meaningful. And I think it's just got a little bit lazy that, no, it didn't work at the time. The 19 competition was a disaster. Well, when was it played? Uh, You know, were you strong enough with your clubs or were your clubs strong enough to put priority on those grades we had two very successful competitions this year our under 20 hurlers got a minimum of six games and our under 19 footballers got a minimum of nine and our participation rates were up in the 90 percent in the championships and no some clubs weren't happy i'm not going to come on here and say it was you know perfect it wasn't but it was it was a proper games program all the way through and i'm, I'm just sticking sticking with it. and uh, if Anton comes in that doesn't allow us to do that it would be it would be devastating in Galway so I just think there needs to be a lot more uh data evidence uh and uh facts in this debate rather than the emotive one yeah like the split season in some ways well I I was going to say it
0: goes back to your first point about we have this tradition of throwing stuff out before it really gets the opportunity to bed in for fear it might work like there's definitely exactly do you know um it, it, it strikes me that there hasn't been a, a lot of leadership on this like because the, they made they made these changes on the basis of long form longitudinal studies that suggested this was the best thing to do it it got put through but then now it has no champion i don't know who I don't know who to talk to to go well why did you do this in the first place remind everybody about that try and carry the day about the argument it's like
8: ah oh, look we tried sure what can we do? I would agree with you. I mean, has anybody come out like and said that's the end of the dual player if this goes through? Has anybody said the problems it will create um, that there'll be no pathway after 18? You know, and this again is about the elite player. But look at from a leadership perspective, I I don't disagree. I think someone has to nail the colours to the mast here and explain. Be very clear of what the repercussions of this not drift back into a vote of Congress that could have massive repercussions. And I look at I'm more concerned about the, the club piece on that front because look at the GA is a participatory sport. I, I love the intercounty. Don't don't get me wrong. I've been involved. In it, it's great, but the club stuff is GA is not a spectator sport. It is a participatory sport. And if we don't keep people, players playing and clubs thriving, then. That there won't be a whole lot left to watch so I'm passionate about it on the inter-county age grades we're actually quite agnostic here in Galway whether it's 17 or 19 or 18 or 20 because it doesn't matter as much at inter-county because again the idea that you're losing an elite player there again factually data wise not the case they might not make they can't all make it at adult level you're only allowed to put out 15 but they're all playing club everyone that played for Galway minor hurling and football over the last year they're all still playing club and whatever our big thing in Galway is and there's probably going to be a bit about it next while we're still fuming over our, the way our under 17s in hurling are in, in no man's land well, with I, I, okay I, I actually I, I, I wanted to bring that up because
0: um, I, my, my background is a hurling background it, it's clear yours is too it always struck me that like hurling people are hurling people up until it might cost them a medal or their under, underage
8: team a medal yeah um it's funny you say that. We're 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 just in going through it at the moment. We're, we're we're pretty annoyed, and again, it goes back to a leadership element. We put in the request again this year. Fergal Healy is involved. He's over our minor uh, team. He's all genuinely focused on development. He was in with the seniors a couple of years ago. Completely flipped his mindset in terms of what minor should be about uh, in terms of development, and uh, we're that's where we're going. We would rather play five games and lose in all Ireland than play two and win one. You know, that's genuinely where we're at. And I mean that. Our minor footballers last year won Null Ireland. Great. Didn't win a Connacht title. Played nine games. And they got so much better throughout. But they deserve the same amount of opportunity to play nine games as did Mayo, as a Galway team does against Clare or a Tipperary. So we've asked a few times and we've got pushed around. No, no, it's CCC's decision. No, no, it's Development CCC. No, sorry, we'd love to let you in, but Leinster won't let you in. Leinster, no, no, it's not us. It's the individual counties. So we've put a motion to Crow Park. Let's see, will it get on the floor? I'd have my my concerns about that. Um, uh, it's just it's just a real frustrating element that this, this is going on in this day and age. Another one, another one that I really want to tackle, and it, it's good to have the platform to do it, there's been this little thing thrown out whenever there's been a response from national level, oh, Galway want it everywhere. There are club teams. We'll go into Leinster in the morning on club. We'll go into Munster in the morning on club. Put us wherever you want from a club perspective in hurling. We've never, ever held this position that we wanted it every every way ourselves, you know? Um we will start at the first round of every competition and only and only rightly so. I think that's the I think you could accept that's that's the way it should be. It doesn't make
0: any sense for the Leinster counties or the Leinster Council to hold the position they hold. It would greatly enhance the quality of competition at all levels to have another county
8: in Playing it doesn't make any sense. I, I like either they are hurting people or they aren't. Yeah, and I think that's why we want to get it to the floor of Congress to see. You know, let's let's stop the hiding now and who who is who is it? Because look again, we're spoiled with the people we have involved with Fergal, with Joe Canning, a few of these grades. But these guys, these guys are training. The training ratio. They have no matches to play. Right. Mm-hmm. The, by the time Galway play. Uh, a Munster or a Leinster team next year in the round robin that's currently uh, envisaged, the other team will have played five games. Now, how anyone thinks that is fair or equitable? And look, we have a very good minor team next year. You know, we may win it. We may not. Uh, again, I would genuinely, every one of those those management team would be in a position where they'd, they'd give it up in the morning. And, you know, we've a, we've a lot to do on our own side of the house. Don't get me wrong. I can't put everything on that. We've often talked about the why has the leap never gone through from minor to adult? That's that's what we're fixing at the moment. We had a fantastic launch last night in the Clayton Hotel with Satanta College, um a partnership for all our underage squads with under the tutelage of Des Ryan, Des who you probably know from, from Arsenal. So Des has gone taking over that side of things in partnership with Satanta for us. But these are the things we have to do now just to just to stay busy when we're not playing games. Paul, what's the what's the single biggest issue or concern
4: facing Cardi Boards heading into to twenty twenty three?
8: Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I think from our perspective, from, I like the volunteer piece to me is one I'd be most worried about, you know, and I, I mean that. I know that might, uh, certain companies have financial issues, just, just looking forward, um, the level of professionalism on the field. And obviously we spent two million. I don't want to speak outside both sides of our mouth, but uh, we ran Galway GA this year, you know, 4.5 million business with five permanent staff and an officer base that claimed €128 Euros in expenses. Now, that's extremely unsustainable uh, going forward. Um, I think uh, you, you have to have that level of energy and commitment um, is great, but how long can you keep it going? I, I think that, to me, I can see it in clubs as well and in county boards, is is the time and the resource to keep counties uh, up uh, with on the field, I think that's a massive, massive threat. And I, I know people will laugh at me and say, "You spent two million, you're making it a lot worse for, for others." But that to me would be across the board, the biggest threat to county boards going forward.
0: It's, uh, it's definitely, and it's a threat to all of. Society that isn't full time professional in mm. in all sports, and we hear it from everybody. Paul, it's always really interesting to talk to you. I think we're going to follow up on um, the success or otherwise of that motion to get the underage teams into Leinster because it just doesn't make any sense. So um, thanks a million for explaining all that too, because I, I do think that it's important that we get to see how how Kerry boards can turn things around really quickly with the the right people and a clear vision, and also the support of uh, you know great management teams. Yep. a clear volunteer ethos and then also um, just how how it should look when it's run properly so um, hopefully we got to, to get talked through all that great to have you with us Paul thanks a million thanks very much lads cheers that's uh, Paul Bellew there the uh, county board chairman of uh, Galway and um, it's some turnaround really and you kind of you see some counties are really getting their houses in order and things are progressing nicely and it, it's a counterpoint from him about the, the dual player and the under eighteen age grades—that's another story that is bubbling up. Um, <clears throat> but where, where's the where's the person? Where's the idea behind it? Those people who, who went to bat for
4: this—all of a sudden, it's like they've disappeared into the ether. Mm. I'd love to hear his point, even about counties not wanting to go into the into other provincial, provincial championship. There has to be an accountability in terms of voting, as he says. Maybe Congress will show us which side of the fence people are sitting on. Um, but that's a mad one why people wouldn't want to play games against a Galway Underage team is it makes, beyond me. Yeah, Right, 19 minutes past nine. We're live every morning with Gillette Labs for an
0: effortless finish to your day. Make sure you tune into the Lunchtime Wrap today. It's going to bring you all the very latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo food, we get it. Uh, OTV Sports Radio today, Johnny Caban, uh, the boxer from ACL who was the longest reigning world champion at any weight until Mike Tyson I think Uh, Dadcast from 3 a career retrospective is Bernard Brogan at 4 Barry Ryan's uh, book on Irish cycling The Ascent is at 6 and then Joe Malloy is live with the latest episode of A Slight Tangent Uh, more from the World Cup and plenty more besides from 7 o'clock tonight follow Off The Ball on all of our social channels and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network for the very best and uh, latest sports content right after the break Former Republic of Ireland international Maeve DeBurka joins us to talk about the topic of participation in sport among young females in Ireland. Stay tuned. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. The Irish Times ran a story yesterday from Jack Organ Jones that there had been a survey uh, undertaken by the Department of Sport at the request of Jack Chambers, the Minister for Sport, into young people's attitudes towards participation. Uh, one of the big things that came up was school uniforms, uh, both for uh, boys and girls, men and women, and uh, but particularly young females found that school uniforms were a barrier to them continuing to do sport at school. And as we know, the drop-off rates for sport in secondary school is catastrophic at. Uh, at a macro level, in terms of the impact on health, socialization, all sorts of reasons. If you believe in sport as any kind of power, uh, any force for good, then you realize that uh, kids dropping out of sport is really long term bad and it's a force multiplier for all sorts of bad things uh, later on in life loneliness, depression, activity. You, you actually get better school results if people have um, undertaken any form of, even walking will improve a child's ability uh, to remember stuff in the next hour. So uh, we we feel like this is an important story and we should cover it. And I'm delighted to say Maeve de Berca is uh, joining us now, former Republic of Ireland Soccer International. Uh, Maeve, you've you've done some work on this. You've been involved in this. I know as as a mentor as well, there's a separate research project that has been undertaken which basically says largely the same stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Like I said, I, I work with Lidl and the LGFA in secondary schools trying to decrease that drop off that you were talking about you know particularly within teenage girls i think they're three times more likely than boys to give up sport by the age of 13 which is huge really and um, so that's what kind of the focus is on really and um like you said there's so many other benefits health economic everything if we can try to encourage um kids to stay in sport
0: it, the uniform was the big thing that came up yesterday kind of the the headline finding what could be done to fix that
1: I think we need to move away from the rigid uh, uniform policy that we have. It's quite unique in Ireland. Like you don't see it on the continent or in the US. I think it needs to be, become more uh, flexible, you know, just so that. Um, both men and, and boys sorry, boys and girls are comfortable in what they're wearing, you know, because there's also, obviously you're looking at the participation in sport itself but also when you look at physical activity you know, how are kids going to school is it easy for them to go to school uh, back in the day Many years ago now, I used to cycle to secondary school, but you know, the first thing I noticed when I got the uniform, the skirt was down to my ankles, so that wasn't going to be uh, very safe or you know, practical to, to cycle my bike with that. So I actually had to ask my mother to take up the skirt and to my knee so that I could cycle to school, you know, and those things really have to change. But I think we're moving in the right direction
0: very slowly, like really very, you know, it's it's it, it seems like you know uh, i'm sure that um you can change in schools now much easier than maybe you used to be able to but at the same time it's still not something that uh is talked about at a massive level all the time uh, having a, an impact on cycling on walking on doing sport in school it's kind of like these are separate things you know oh we need to we need to think about those parents who uh don't have to then feel pressurized to buy the clothes that everybody i'm like what okay that's a very strange counter-argument to all these other benefits that are over here.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I think the main thing is that the the uniform is comfortable, you know. um, Like you said, yeah, you could say to get rid of the uniform altogether, but um, it does open up another um, topical debate, I suppose, at the moment, given the cost of living crisis that we have. You know, there's a bill uh, before the Dáil at the moment, uh, affordable school uniform policy that's um, trying to be introduced. You know, um, Wales, I think, are looking at the same thing in that to see that can, um, can families buy uniforms, just generic uniforms and even iron on the crest rather than having to go and pay the 50 euro to one particular supplier. So, I personally, I wouldn't be in favour of getting rid of uniforms completely, but I would be obviously in favour of of making them um, more comfortable and obviously maybe like introduce some schools have PE uniforms. I you know I did go into a school we had a PE uniform so that you know and make them more uh, even designed as well towards uh, females you know to to make them more confident and. Confident and uh, more comfortable within their own um, the uniform that they are wearing on PE day or whatever day it is. What,
4: what was your experience, generally speaking, made of, of PE when you were in school? Was it was it encouraged?
1: Um, it wasn't really. I went to a school where um, firstly, I was only allowed to do one sport, um, wasn't even allowed to train with the other sport. Uh, thankfully, things have really moved on uh, from then in my old secondary school. But also, even within um, the PE itself, only uh, a select few of us were allowed to do it. Uh, even a leave and search year had to be the the more elite players, I suppose, which really is the players who lead, need it the least, I think, within a school setting because we were already getting enough physical activity outside of school with the many other sports we were doing. So, uh, I did talk as well to a friend recently. She's a secondary school teacher, and uh, the same thing there. Everyone in leaving cert isn't isn't allowed to do PE. Only those who are taking it on as a and cert subject. So anyone who el- anyone else who isn't doing it for the you know, isn't partaking in any form of physical activity during the school day, um, which is massive, really, given the amount of time that teenagers and children spend at school.
4: I'm glad to hear it's moved on from, from your old school because it certainly hasn't moved on in every school in Ireland to this day, especially in, in all-girls schools. Uh, like, do you, do you almost feel like there's a, there's a disconnect between the obvious benefits of, of exercise and PE and, and studying? Because uh, often the excuse given is uh, they need to study, they don't have time for, for PE, but clearly exercise is in tandem with that.
1: Yeah, I still remember, like I said there, the reason given to me that I, I couldn't uh, even train with the two sports was that it would affect my academics and you know I can't I, I can't disagree more strongly with that statement. You know I know um, for a fact that um, sport helped me get through my academics. I I remember even I used to um, kick a ball outside the wall. You know I actually had neighbours that weren't too, too happy with me at late at night banging a ball against the wall in between my uh, study sessions. You know just to try um, release some of that stress, I suppose. And definitely helps me and i think it it can be encouraged you know throughout particularly like i said those teenage years you know where physical activity um the the research is there that it does help and like i said even going out for a walk and that can stimulate the mind and um you know even now we know uh, all the mental health benefits as well that physical activity can bring um not only to children and teenagers but to adults alike
0: Do you think people don't know about that? Is that why we're still uh, a little bit in the dark ages when it comes to integrating physical activity into study patterns and into the school day?
1: Yeah, I think it's a cultural thing, really. I think uh, it's how we've always done it, so then people are maybe not questioning it then you know i i know from my experiences abroad like even um i lived in sweden for a bit and you know the children there they, they definitely do a lot more pee than we do here they the the young kids that come in they get changed they shower after pee you know we it's not done here um so i think maybe people are aware of it but just um they're afraid to i suppose uh question the 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 way it's done and you know there's a lot of pressure on teachers from an academic side as well, you know, to be getting their results um, in the classroom. But like I said, um, you know, they, maybe they think that studying more will help that, whereas, um, you know, we know that if you can try and get a balanced approach, um, you'll definitely be more successful.
4: Like your your CV, your travelling CV is is, is strong and as you say, Sweden, Norway, your time in America as well. So like, when you've assessed those countries, like, how, how do we compare? Are, are we... Are we struggling noticeably compared to other countries when it comes to PE and and, and encouraging uh, physical education for young people?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like when you think about it, that only um, an average, I think an hour is given to PE, you know, in schools. Um, and I know one school I was talking to recently, they have uh, double classes, so they have 80 minutes. But that includes, uh, you know, getting changed before and after and, you know, setting up everything. So it's really, we're really, really limited in the time that we are given and to be, and I think you know Ireland has one of the highest uh, childhood obesity rates, unfortunately, in Europe. Like one in every four school-going children in Ireland are either overweight or obese, and like that's just you know that statistic. Twenty-five percent. It's it's scary, really, to think because you know obviously the rate of them then bringing that obesity into to adulthood is is very high, and that that in itself can lead to so many um, health uh, challenges. So, yeah, I think I think the other countries I've I've experienced anyway, they're definitely ahead of Ireland um, in terms of the emphasis that they place on physical activities uh, within a school setting.
0: Maeve, as a matter of interest, why do you think we should stick with uniforms?
1: I think um, I suppose. There's a lot of families maybe who are financially challenged and uh, maybe even from disadvantaged areas, it, it nearly levels the playing field slightly, um, you know, in that the children don't have to be wearing the latest gear or, the, you know, the pressure isn't there on families to, to have to keep providing um, for children, at least in a, at least in that, that school setting. I know, obviously, they'd be wearing the clothes outside of school, but I think it does take a lot of financial pressure off the families, particularly
0: if that affordable school uniform bill comes through the door as well. Yeah, I just, I always, like, you make the point that they're wearing other clothes outside of school anyway, and, like, it's cheap to buy clothes now in a way that it maybe wasn't, like, when we were kids, you got, like, uh, you know, one pair of jeans and they were going to last you for the year. Now, Now you can get, like, good quality, well-made stuff in a load of different shops that probably weren't selling it. Fast fashion, obviously, is not great for the planet, but it does mean that it's actually probably cheaper in the long run to buy clothes for families than it would have been up to any point. It feels to me it's a little bit like um, it's a slight red herring when the benefits are that actually you'd have people coming into into school who would feel like they can bring a change of clothes with them and it doesn't really matter what they're wearing in class and they're not going to get in trouble for it.
1: Yeah, I, I do understand that, that point as well, I suppose. But then, um, you know, even I suppose every teenager doesn't always want to be dressed in clothes from pennies or duns either. You know, they might want the latest Liverpool or United shirt for eighty euro go as well. And um I suppose there's that that side of it too. But I, I yeah, I understand um, you know, they want to be comfortable in school, but I think if you make the um the PE uniform or the P track suit, if, if you do make that, um something that, that the majority of children will be comfortable wearing, then that could kind of, I suppose, resolve that, that side of it.
0: Are, are we getting better at this, May, from what you've seen? Are we making progress?
1: I think we're making slow progress. Uh, I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be at the moment. Um, you know, I do think that the the funding needs to go into it as well as, um, you know, the emphasis needs to be there, but also see if we can try to just increase physical activities in, in other ways, even even um, outside of the school setting too, and try to, you know, prevent these kind of, um, I suppose, the, the dramatic health um, and economic um, disadvantages that we get from being inactive. You know, um, like I said, there was a study released uh, last year saying that, you know, physical activity, um, if if the inactivity, I suppose, causes up to 100,000 cases of disease every year in Ireland, and, you know, that then in turn leads to financial um implications as well so i think it's just such a broader um issue as well you know that needs needs to be looked at even in terms of i suppose just as a society we need to move on because even now you can see the office settings you know we're no longer seeing the the suits and the ties and the shirts have been worn every day. So I think, you know, why can't we move on from a uniform and school's perspective as well?
0: Yeah, I think um, definitely broadly in agreement with that. Um, Kevin Kilvance has been in touch to say that the, he was talking about the USA, uh, they agreed equal pay, which includes World Cup bonuses for the men's and women's teams. So the women's team will get half the men's bonus and then when the women win the World Cup, the men will get half of that bonus. And, you know, on, on balance, this is their move towards... Um, equality, we're seeing, he says, that, that Canada are likely to do the same as well, and this will all be ongoing, so into the future. Uh, is this something we should look at in Ireland? Where, I mean, you know, obviously the women might be giving up more and bonuses in terms of qualification for tournaments, but certainly like equal match fees, and then from that point forward, so if and when the men qualify for a World Cup and the 440 million prize pot is being divided, that the women should get their cut of that too.
1: Yeah, I mean, in an ideal situation, I think that's that's what um, hopefully will happen. Um, whether it'll happen, you know, in the next couple of years, um, or I'm not sure. But you know, we have made huge progress, like you said, with the equal pay and the the match fees. At the moment, um, it really is is great strides um, in the right direction. The the US, the women's national team over there, have always been the trendsetters, I suppose, and they're the you know they're the number one in the world, and they're they really are. They always kind of set the ball in motion for the rest of the world to follow. So um, I think it's huge what's been done there, and you know to even yeah see the the men's qualification out into the out of the group stage benefiting the women. It's it's massive. So hopefully yes, um, that that should happen. Hopefully in the years to come in Ireland, it would be great to see it.
4: It's funny Maeve when you talk about the the women qualifying for the World Cup next year. Like I almost feel like. There will be no choice. Schools will have to uh, allow young girls to push and do more exercise in PE because uh, that argument will be there. The more we see female role models in Irish sport, the more that push is going to just become natural. And I think, I guess, Vera Powell's team have have really uh, blazed that trail in, in many ways.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when it becomes more mainstream, like I said, and it's it's visible in the media more, then it just becomes part of our culture. I think before this, it was always kind of trying to break down barriers and, you know, even um, teachers within a school setting, they may not have been, you know, even exposed that much um, to women's sport. I know even in my primary school that the sports the, were all led by the male teachers. We only had two male teachers within the whole school, but they they were always the coaches of our sports teams and, and that. So even now, I think, you know, we will see more female teachers, more pre- female coaches, role models and all that. And they will be bringing along um, the girls and, and teenage um, girls with them in that regard too. So, yeah, I think all the the... I think the qualification for the World Cup, that will only kind of start the ball rolling. It's only the start of it, really. I think it's going to spiral um, to make a, a real big uh, movement towards higher participation levels with um, teenage girls.
0: Maybe you were in Qatar recently, I believe?
1: I was, yeah, just briefly. Um, yeah, a little layover there. So it was very interesting to see, um, you know, how, how the World Cup was um, run over there. But, yeah, just just a brief stop over there. Did you get out and about? I didn't Um, unfortunately the Qatar rules state that you can't leave the airport uh, unless you have a World Cup ticket which I didn't have I didn't have um, my my time over there wasn't going to take in a World Cup match unfortunately but I did want to the hope was that I would get out to see the atmosphere, but um, I did get to taste it within the airport setting, so it was definitely interesting to see um, all the different blend of cultures all uh, passing through the airport.
0: All right, so you're welcome, but not really to step outside the airport. <laughs> it's an, yeah. an interesting dynamic.
1: Yeah, I can't understand it from an economic perspective why you don't want um, people coming in um, you know, to potentially spend money within your country, but and so the rules are only in place during the duration of the World Cup uh, you know during any other time you're free to leave the airport so um, yeah it was an unusual one to be honest one I, I couldn't really understand but um, I can't understand you know a lot about that country so
0: No it, I think it's a, a fair summation. Maeve great stuff thanks a for joining us this morning cheers Thanks million, guys. Talk to you soon. Maeve de Berka there, uh, former Republic of Ireland International. A reminder, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Before we go, delighted to announce that Jack Queeley is the winner of today's Leopardstown Christmas Festival giveaway. For the rest of you, a reminder to tune into OTBAM every day for your chance to win two hospitality places this week for the Leopardstown Pavilion at the festival. It takes place between December the 26th and the 29th. Now, back tomorrow morning, Keith Wood. It's uh, going to talk to us about the uh, Eddie Jones scenario. It'll be made official in Borthwick as well. Newstalk's tech guru Jess Kelly will be here to help you shop for the gamer in your life for this Christmas. Brian Gartland, recently retired and dog legend. will talk about his career in football with Shane and myself in the studio and we look back on tonight's games in the World Cup. OTB AM With Gillette.
8: Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar.